get your family vehicles ready for summer driving with early Memorial Day deals at Dobbs. Click on GoToDobbs.com for money, saver retire, and service deals today. Dobbs. With 43 locations, real deals are always close by. This is the Character and Smallman Podcast, powered by I Promise. Now here's Character and Smallman. everyone and welcome to Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN. It's 7 o'clock. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers and officially licensed Rolex Jeweler and Michelle Smallman is back. Welcome back. Thank you Randy. It feels like I have been gone for a year. but It's only been two weeks. <laughs> but it, weeks. But in, in a pandemic time, two weeks feels like a year. Let me tell you and I'm thrilled to be back. Good to have you with us. Hope your holiday was good and you get us ready. We're going to ease you back in with a three day work week. Thank you. Week. That's so considerate. I appreciate that. But no, Holidays were good, low-key, didn't really do anything. But how about you guys? Did you guys have a great Christmas? Everything was fantastic at the Character household, and I'm just ready to get back. We had so much going on yesterday that we're going to talk about during the next three hours. Heck, we wouldn't have to have any sound or anything with the day in the <laughs> NFL, the Blues, and we'll start with this, signed Mike Hoffman to a professional tryout contract. Mizzou cancels their bowl game. Blake Snell gets traded to the Padres. It was just a crazy day in sports. But let's start with the Blues in somewhat of a surprise to me. But the fact that, of the matter is training camp starts here this week for some teams, next week for most of the league. And Mike Hoffman, who scored 29 goals last year and has scored at least 20 in six seasons in the NHL, signs a PTO with the Blues and if they like what they see in training camp, which we presume they will, he'll sign with the Blues and be on their team for the regular season. Great news for Blues fans. I love this this deal. Doug Armstrong is a wizard. Is he, he is. not? Yeah. You know, when a guy like Alex Petrangelo leaves your organization and you know that that's going to be a big hit for you both on and off the ice, and all of a sudden you're looking at the way that Doug Armstrong has constructed this 2021 Blues team, and you're looking at not only something on the defensive side with Tori Krug that he brought in to help supplement the loss of Alex Petrangelo. But then with Alexander Steen and Vladimir Tarasenko being out, all of a sudden he finds a way to bring in somebody like Hoffman. This is a great move for the Blues, and I'm really excited to see him in action with the team. As we mentioned, 29 goals last year. He led the Panthers with 59 points. And when you look at his recent history in terms of goal scoring, 36 two years ago with Florida, 22 with Ottawa the year before that, seasons of 26, 29, and 27 goals. He's not the biggest guy in the world. He's six foot, 180. He hasn't been known as a defensive stalwart during his career. But Michelle, I think about that line with O'Reilly and Perron, a couple of 200 pounders who are very responsible defensively. And he's a left winger. He would be a great fit on the left side with Perron and O'Reilly. And a good move for him too, Randy, because when you looked at the market, I, I was reading last night about this, about the Taylor Hall deal that really kind mm-hmm. of showcased what, what the market would be for somebody like Hoffman. This is a great move for him because he's, he's going to sign the deal with the Blues, but this is a good role for him on a team that's built to, to be a really strong team. So with the market the way that it is, you have to get creative. So I think it's a good fit for both sides. And he told The Athletic, I'm extremely thrilled to have the opportunity to possibly become a member of the Blues. I've heard nothing but pleasant things about the team and the organization. He is from Canada. One of my top priorities coming into this summer as a UFA was to join a team that has a powerful ability to contend and win the Stanley Cup as they just demonstrated a couple of years ago. So LGB. Let's go. 
going to be fun. Hey, we were hoping that we would be able to spend this week saying, let's go Tigers. But Mizzou has pulled out of the Music City Bowl due to a rise in COVID-19 cases in the program. Eli Drinkwitz, the head coach, says, put it on me. You know, I, I hate it for our team. Uh, our team worked extremely hard to get to this bowl game. We were very excited about the opportunity to uh, compete, but we won't get that opportunity now, uh, I do want to say this. Uh, this is, if there's anybody to blame for this, it would fall on my shoulders as the head coach and the leader of this organization. It is by no means our players' fault uh, or our, our organization's uh, health care or protocols. Uh, we have followed those stringently uh, since they've become an inception, and we have done everything possible. But if there was an easy way out of this predicament with this virus, I think the country would have already handled that. And so for us to be uh, belittled or beleaguered on social media or players to be challenged because they went home for Christmas is unfair. And if they want to direct that at anybody, ultimately, I, as the head coach, you can place that blame on my shoulders. But our players didn't do anything wrong. Uh, it's just unfortunate that we're going through a global pandemic. Understand. Completely agree with coach there. And you don't want to blame any the. the I don't blame him for wanting to send the kids home to see their families for the holidays. I understand as a coach that that's something that you would probably want to allow your student athletes to do. And I don't blame the students for going home if that opportunity presents themselves. And you don't want to definitively say, okay, this action is why there was an uptick in COVID cases because we don't really know where everything generated, what what the genesis of it was. However, I am surprised with a team that would be facing a bowl game and a team that had such success this season compared to what was expected of them that they would risk anything at all mm-hmm. heading into this game. I would think that they would want to to not only compete but finish out their season on a on a strong you know a strong level. Yeah, you would think that like most teams, the players would desire and I know that they've been in Columbia since June. But you you would think that they would want to finish this off after yeah. they, they've had such a good season. But Drinkwitz made it a point. He said one of the reasons we picked this bowl is because we can send our kids home for Christmas and they can be home for New Year's. Now, how did they handle sending the players home? Uh, we, we didn't send anybody home that was positive. Uh, anybody who tested positive, uh, we did what the local CDC guidelines are and followed through with the contact tracing. Uh, Again, I'm not an epidemiologist, but what I do know about the virus is you can be exposed to the virus and uh, depending on the viral load and your body's immunities may not uh, begin shedding the virus or display symptoms or or show up on a test for up to 14 days. So I I don't think we could have done anything differently uh, or weigh the options of players' mental health any differently. We chose what to do. I chose what to do. Um, If allowing our players who sacrificed so much throughout this season to play 10 games, if allowing them to go home for Christmas ultimately cost us the ability to play in a bowl game, I'll live with that choice. If I'm a parent of a kid, I don't mind hearing that. Of course not. But when you think about everything they did sacrifice to get to this point and the finish line is so close, it is a curious decision from my my standpoint. I do. I do understand everything coach is saying that this has been a long year for these these student athletes. And he talked about their mental health. And, you know, think about when you're in college, of course, you want to go home and see your family for the holidays. But I would think if I had sacrificed so much to get to this point, why wouldn't I just be that careful, that much more careful and finish out? 
out what I started. Right. And like he said, it, it could be a 14-day gestation period. So they don't know if sending right. players home is exactly. what caused the problem. The Cardinals, well, let's start with this one. Overnight, you may not have heard yet. The Tampa Bay Rays traded Blake Snell, 2018 American League Cy Young Award winner, to the Padres for four prospects. They lost Mike Clevenger, San Diego did, for the season due to Tommy John surgery. So they got the best available pitcher this offseason and made a great move to try to compete with, contend with the Dodgers in the NL West. They've been tied to a lot of different names, so I'm not surprised to see them strike and acquire a big-name pitcher that was out on the market. But... Two things popped up when I read about this this morning. First of all, I thought, oh, okay, those prospects that are heading to Tampa, probably pretty good. Probably mm-hmm. pretty good. Are you sure you want to part, <laughs> part with, with some prospects that Tampa Bay desires? We know that, about that here in St. Louis. And the other thing, Randy, was there was two catchers that were moved in this mm-hmm. deal. So I wonder how this, if it does at all, impacts the Yachty or Molina market. I would think somewhat. Now, they still have the catchers that they got towards the end of last season. The Padres do. But I don't think there's any doubt that when he talked about his uh, Yachty, his desire to win, and that the Padres were a team that had shown interest, I would be surprised if they didn't still have interest because with all due respect to the catchers that they have on the roster right now, and those are Austin Nola and Luis Camposano, uh, Yadier Molina is better than them and has more experience and can bring their pitchers better than those guys can. So... If I were in the Padres' shoes, and I'm going for it, clearly I'm when, when I go out and get Blake Snell to replace Mike Clevenger, I'm going for it. Mm-hmm. I'm going to try to sign the guy. And that's the what we kind of thought all along would be the situation for Yadier Molina, that it would be a team that was contending and felt like he might be the final piece, something that could really help push them over the edge. And imagine Yadier Molina working with that staff. Yeah, that would be a good spot for him. It would. And to our knowledge, the Cardinals have not put an offer on the table for either Molina or Wainwright yet. So they might just be hoping that Yachty moves on to the next greener pasture so that they can get Kisner into games and start building for the future. That's kind of what I wonder if, and this is just speculation on my point, but if you're the Cardinals, if you bring him back and you're not wanting to spend money, that puts you in a tough spot. If you bring him back and you want to see what you have in Kisner, this also puts you in a tough spot. And if they don't go out and sign him, that puts you in a tough spot with the fans who want to see Yadier Molina retire as a Cardinal. Mm-hmm. So I don't wonder if the best scenario for them is if Yadi pulls an Albert Pujols, that he makes the decision yeah. for them. That way they can say, we wanted to keep him. He chose to leave. That might be the best, the best final situation for the Cardinals. The Cardinals have reported interest in South Korea. Well, that North Korean shortstop. You don't have many shortstops playing ball in North Korea, do you? Not that I know. <laughs> uh, golfers, really good golfers now and then in North Korea. But uh, Korean shortstop Ha Song Kim is going to be posted. The Cardinals are among six teams interested in him. Kim uh, last year hit 360 with 30 homers and 109 RBIs. He's a 180-pound shortstop. He has played short and third has a chance to be a, a more than serviceable major league shortstop and he's received offers reportedly of five years plus from multiple teams that would be an interesting sign for the cardinals i'm actually surprised the cardinals have interest in him why because of the length of contract or yep. be, yeah, that's what i thought too when i saw that he received multiple offers of five years or more i was thinking would the cardinals really go there for that length 
and then I saw the Cardinals were attached to it. That that part surprised me. But the other side of it really that piqued my interest is the Cardinals seem to have success on the international right. market. You know, specifically with pitching. But I I would be a little intrigued if they were to really like this guy. The Cardinals don't have young infield depth. Right now, you've got Gorman on the way, and DeYoung, uh, obviously, is signed. And then you've got Tommy Edmond at second. Maybe they would like to just protect themselves in case Edmond and or Gorman don't work out. That, that's what I'm thinking. And other baseball news. Sadly, Hall of Famer Phil Necro passed away at the age of 81. Man, it's been a bad year for the Hall of Fame in baseball. We've lost so many great players. And more sad news, Michelle. Uh, the Rams fear that Jared Goff has a broken thumb. Their quarterback hit his thumb on a helmet of a Seattle player yesterday. He dislocated it, pulled it back into place, but they're going to do an MRI today, and they're hoping that he'll be able to go against the Arizona Cardinals next week. And there's a chance that the Rams could miss the playoffs. Oh, you hate to see it. You hate to see it. But I will give him credit, toughness points there. Mm-hmm. To be able to pop your thumb back into place yourself, that that does earn some toughness points from me. But Randy, you, you, you really just hate to see it. You know, the Rams tough loss yesterday to Seattle mm-hmm. their quarterback broken thumb a game that they need to win they they could miss the playoffs it just stinks if they lose to the Cardinals and by the way they lost to the Jets then lost to the Seahawks if they lose to the Cardinals and the Packers fall to the Bears if the Bears win and the Cardinals win the Rams are out there's all you need to know about their playoff situation coming up it's time for our four downs on the NFL Sunday on 101 ESPN we're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. All right, time for four downs. First down. Randy, a team that really piqued my interest yesterday might be the team I had the most fun watching over the weekend was the Baltimore Ravens. They need to win out to punch their ticket to the playoff. They got one step closer yesterday with a 27-13 win over the Giants. Their offense was dominant in the first half of this game. They scored on every single offensive possession of the first half. And Lamar Jackson, he looked like MVP Lamar. He was fending off defenders. He was making plays. He had 183 yards passing, two touchdowns, and he added 80 on the ground. And the Ravens now can control their playoff fate. They can clinch a playoff berth with a win at Cincinnati. And Baltimore has now won four straight. They're looking like they could be a problem. And for a team that had a really rough stretch there with that COVID outbreak with Lamar sidelined, this is a team that I'm paying attention to. They've had two straight one-and-done appearances in the playoffs, and I'm hoping they handle their business versus the Bengals so we can see how Lamar plays this season on the postseason stage. And after all that talk of can Lamar win the big game, I'd like him to get the chance to answer that question himself. I would too. And here's a fun fact for you. There have been in the history of the NFL, two teams that had three 75 yard rushers in one game, both Ravens teams with Lamar Jackson yesterday. As you mentioned, Lamar uh, ran for 80. Gus Edwards ran for 85. J.K. Dobbins ran for 77. Only the second time in league history that's that's happened both times with the Ravens. Wow. Pretty amazing. Second down. Michelle the Browns. Oh, no. Who had already clinched their first winning record since 2007, had a chance to clinch a playoff spot with a win over the lowly Jets and their 25th ranked defense. 
but in the 24 hours before game time, the Browns lost their top four receivers, Jarvis Landry, Rashard Higgins, Donovan Peoples-Jones, and Kaderil Dodge to the COVID-19 reserve list, and also lost starting left tackle Jedrick Willis Jr. to an illness. The Browns were already down right guard Wyatt Teller. So with all of that, the Browns decided to drop back to, back to pass 27 times in the first half, and their third-ranked rush offense... They ran it nine times for four yards in the first half. Baker Mayfield had two key fumbles in the last four minutes. Jets win 23-16. You are a factory of sadness! Still, now they must either beat the Steelers or hope the Colts lose to the 1-14 Jaguars to get in. And one thing we know, Pittsburgh likes to torture Cleveland. So don't be surprised if the Browns, after all of this wonderful uh, 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 play during the season, the winning record, don't be surprised if, with your Ravens, they miss the playoffs, the Browns. Kind of a factory of sadness on both ends, no? Even though the Jets win, you lose out on Trevor Lawrence. Yeah. Yikes. Yikes. And uh, Jacksonville clinches the top pick in the draft and goes to Twitter and puts up a Trevor Lawrence Jacksonville jersey. How many do you think they sold yesterday? I wonder if they're allowed to do that yet. Well, if you're a fan, can't you customize your own jersey? Yeah, you could. I wonder. They might have sold three or four. If you're a Jacksonville Jaguars fan and you realize we're going to get Trevor Lawrence, that's the first thing I would do. That's what I said, three or four. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. There's a few, right? (laughs) And even though I did not want him to go to the Jets because it's just, it's not a factory of sadness, but it's a factory of ineptness. Mm Mm-hmm. At least he would have been relevant there. At least it would have been something fun for us to talk about. To go to, to Jacksonville, you know, now you're going to be on a bad team. That's irrelevant. Jacksonville has lost 10 or more games in 9 of 10 seasons. Ooh. The one thing that we can hope, Michelle, is that maybe he goes to Jacksonville and maybe he, he turns the Jaguars into what Peyton Manning did for the Colts in Indianapolis because they were relatively irrelevant until... Peyton Manning got there, and he turned him into a monster. But I wonder how long he's going to have to worry about that before they move to London. That's a good question. Really good question. Third down. All right, Randy, let's talk about that Seahawks-Rams game. It was a big one yesterday. One with implications because if Seattle won, they also won the division, and that's exactly what they did, beating the Rams 20-9. to They clinched the NFC West. Russell Wilson had a couple big plays. Seattle's defense, which has really improved since the beginning of the season, they helped clamp down on that Rams offense. But let's talk about that Rams offense, shall we? You have a quarterback that you're paying $134 million to. And in another important and winnable game, he was not good. He had that bad. Bad interception late in the first half per ESPN stats and info. Randy, this is my favorite stat from yesterday. That would that was Jared Goff's 23rd game with a turnover since the start of last season. The most in the NFL. 23rd game with a turnover. Okay? Let that sink in for a second. That's a lot of money a, for some turnovers. Yeah. And I'm not letting the offensive guru Sean McVay off the hook either. They only mustered nine points. The offense looks stagnant. And this is coming off that home loss to the home loss to the previously winless Jets that we were just talking about. And Sean McVay they said, okay, this is what I need to do better as the head coach of the Rams. My job is to put these guys in better spots, and I don't think I've consistently done a good enough job with that. Ultimately, you get into those rhythms when you get some drive. You know, you sustain drives. You're efficient on those early downs, and you can kind of get into a rhythm. I did think we were fairly efficient on the third downs early on in the game, but we kind of just petered out in that, you know, that fringe area before we could even get into the red zone on the couple drives that we had to settle for a field goal. But 
Uh, I've got to be better, Lindsay. I have much higher expectations for myself. I haven't been good enough. And, you know, I'm not going to sit up here and make excuses. You just got to go to, you know, like I tell our players all the time, I see a lot better than I hear. And so, you know, talk is cheap. Uh, we've got to see the production. And ultimately, you know, when you look at it, I can be honest and uh, with myself that I don't feel like I've done a good enough job for the standards, the expectations. And, you know, we're all in it together. We've got to be able to produce, but but I do expect to put our guys in better spots. And, and you know, for the last couple of weeks, I have not done a good enough job of that. Well, I don't know if McVay's going to get that production we just heard him talk about, because as we mentioned last segment, Jared Goff looks like that thumb is broken. The Rams are going to know more today, but it doesn't look like he's going to play versus Arizona, which means you've got John Wolford, no NFL experience, Randy, and a game that the Rams need to win. Well, like you said, though, fortunately for Los Angeles, they do have the offensive guru who has led <laughs> that team. He's kind of like Mike March. They've scored 500 points. Let's see. Let me look it up here. Because uh, March led teams to 500 points three years in a row. One of two franchises to do that. One. Oh, they haven't gotten there yet. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. okay. Darn it. But they are, well, you look at the rankings of the points scored in the league, Michelle. They're, okay, they're 19th right behind Chicago. Right behind Mitch Trubisky and the Bears. Oh, that one stings. Right behind Mitch Trubisky. <laughs> that's that's their points. Fourth down. All right, Michelle, what a night in Vegas on Saturday. Uh, not what we normally say. Not the stuff that stays in <laughs> Vegas. Miami's Jason Sanders hit a fourth quarter field goal with 4.01 left in the fourth quarter to tie the Dolphins-Raiders game at 16. Okay, that happened with 4.01 left in the fourth. On the next play from scrimmage, Derek Carr hit Nelson Aguilar for a 75-yard TV TD, but Vegas missed the extra point, 23-16 Raiders. The Dolphins come back. Fitzmagic, in place of Tua, hits Miles Gaskin for a 59-yarder with 2.55 to go. Extra point, good, 23-22 Miami. Back comes Carr. The Raiders bleed the clock. An amazing drive. They kick a 22-yard field goal with 19 seconds left. Raiders up 25-23. Just kick the ball along the ground. Use up nine seconds. Game over, right? But Vegas kicks it through the end zone. Magic gets the ball at his own 25 with 19 seconds on the clock. Trips right, single man left. LaMarcus Joyner is back on the field for the Raiders. Fitzpatrick is in the shotgun. He waits. He takes the snap. Fitzpatrick is back to throw. Steps up in the pocket. Hit as he throws. Deep down the left side. He's got a receiver open. Makes the catch out of bounds in Raider territory at the 41. And there are multiple flags where Fitzpatrick got hit. It's a 34-yard pass play down the far left sideline. Fitzpatrick got his face mask grabbed as he uncorked that throw. OMG. <laughs> he couldn't even see the throw. His, his head was being pulled off. But he is able to hook up with Hollins for a 34-yard gain. And then 15 yards added to that. 49 yards sets this up. Sanders is ready. Here's the snap. Ball is down. The kick is on the way, and it is good. Jason Sanders drills it with one second left. The Dolphins have taken the lead. 26-25 Miami. that huge huge win for our Miami Dolphins 
I did not see that coming. 19 seconds on the clock. You get the ball at your own 25. You get the pass and you get the penalty. Boy, you talk about unlikely. There's a reason they call him Fitzmagic, Randy. Yeah. (laughs) And we were talking about this off the air. In Buffalo on Sunday, maybe because he played there, it might be a better idea for the Dolphins to start Fitzmagic. They are going with Tua to start the game and try to make the playoffs. It's going to be Tua's team moving forward. Brian Flores clearly knows what he's doing. He's handled this back and forth with Tua and Fitzpatrick very well this season. But based on the way you ended that game and the way that he's been playing, think about how hyped he was and Mm -hmm. how the team reacted to him. And I know we said that about Tua earlier in the season, but... And if I was Brian Flores in this position, I wouldn't risk anything. I would I would ride the hot hand with Fitzpatrick. Boy, that was unbelievable. Those are four downs on 101 ESPN. Coming up, we're going to head to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line. Mizzou not playing this week in Nashville in the Music City Bowl. Gabe DeArmond of PowerMizzou.com will give us the fallout from this not playing next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. <laughs> Michelle and Randy with you, and we head to the Braun and Crouppen Celebrity Line. Gabe DeArmond of PowerMizzou.com, kind enough to join us. And you, by the way, should subscribe to PowerMizzou.com if you want to know what's going on inside the Missouri Athletics Program. Gabe, thanks for taking some time with us. How are you doing this morning? Not bad. What's up, guys? Hey, let's start with this, uh, because Eli Drinkwitz talked yesterday about the the period of time it takes to test positive and uh, have the issues that the program has right now with COVID-19. Do we know whether or not sending players home for Christmas is what led to yesterday's announcement that the the, uh, Tigers would not be playing in the bowl game? I mean, I don't think there's any way for any of us to know for sure, right? I mean, the the thing about this virus is, is it's really hard to say for sure where or when you got it because of that incubation period and, and all that. I mean, you can talk to people who have, have tested positive and, and they say, look, I, I did everything right. I always had a mask on. I wasn't around other people. I don't know where I got it. So I, we don't know for sure. But in all likelihood and according to what, it seems Missouri believes this goes back much more to the trip to Mississippi state when they returned from Starkville and, and had positive tests in the days after that. Now I, I've seen some people say, well, then, then why did they even accept a bowl bid? Well, the bowl bids were handed out on Sunday, the day after the Mississippi state game, Missouri hadn't gotten any more test results by that point. So when the tests were done or, or when the bowl bids came out, they were probably sitting there thinking, hey, we're, we're good. We played yesterday. We'll be able to play again in two weeks. Everything's okay. Well, then they had some additional positive tests come out that next morning. Would have been Monday morning. They test on Sundays and get results Monday. And then they test on Tuesdays and get results Wednesday and, and had some additional tests there. And I, I think at that point is probably about when they started thinking, eh, we, we might be in some trouble here. And Gabe, now that we know that Mizzou isn't playing in the Music City Bowl, their season is complete, and we can look back and reflect on what Eli Drinkwitz did in his first season with the Tigers, I think that Mizzou was predicted to finish 12th in the SEC heading into the season, and here they finish with a 5-5 and record. So how would you grade Eli Drinkwitz's first season with the Tigers? 
I mean, definitely a success. Um, he, he even Drinkwood said yesterday. I, I did find it amusing. He has given us trouble all year for picking them to win two or three games, and, <laughs> and that's fair. Um, but even he said yesterday, if you would have asked me on one of these calls in midsummer if we were going to go five and five, I, I probably couldn't have, have been honest and said yes uh, to that question at that time. So I think they outperformed even what he expected in year one. Um, it. it it left a little bit of a hollow feeling just because you were five and three ended with two blowout losses. And then the season just kind of, you know, I mean, it was actually over about nine days before we knew it was over. So it was kind of a weird ending. Um, I think the, the goal for Drinkwitz's first two seasons to me would have been establish yourself as being ahead of Kentucky, South Carolina, um, you know, Old Miss, Tennessee, that those types of programs, those, you know, try to get yourself to kind of the top of the middle class in the SEC. And Missouri did that in year one. Um, now, the other thing is clearly, and he acknowledged this yesterday, what they didn't do was come anywhere close to beating any of the actual good teams they played. I, I mean, Georgia blew them out. Florida blew them out. Um, Alabama blew them out. Those are really the only three good teams Missouri played this year. So, I guess the other thing you take away from year one is they're not quite on the level of the good teams in the SEC yet, which anyone should have understood was going to be the case. So with that being the case, how do they get to that next level? And I think a realistic person would say, okay, we aren't going to catch Alabama. Missouri's program is not going to be Alabama. But how do they get to that level that they were when they went to SEC championship games? What, What do they need to accomplish to get there? Well, there's first of all, they need some help. Right, because Georgia and Florida, look, and this is not an insult to Missouri's program or what Gary Pinkle did, but Georgia and Florida in 2013 and 14 were not Georgia and Florida today. Mm-hmm. Um, now, Georgia hasn't won a national title, and because of that, I think people don't quite give that program the credit for what it's done. That program is Alabama. If you look at recruiting rankings over the last five years, Georgia's the best team in the SEC recruiting-wise. I mean, their their recruiting class average is like two. You know, it's right there with Alabama. They're recruiting on an Alabama level. They just have, have not won the, the key game at the right time, largely because I think uh, Kirby Smart has not yet figured out what Nick Saban figured out, which is the most important thing I have to have is a dynamic quarterback who can score me 40 points every game. Um and Florida is obviously in much better shape than it was a few years ago. Um, they're not quite at that, you know, Urban Meyer Spurrier level, but but they're getting there. So the first thing they're going to need is – I don't think you can go into a year uh, consistently saying we are a better program than Georgia and Florida. You have to catch those teams on the right day. So what you have to do at Missouri is just establish yourself, beat Tennessee, South Carolina, and Kentucky and Vandy. Do that, you're 500 in the SEC minimum. Then catch Georgia and or Florida on the right day, get a break. And to get there, honestly, what I think it takes is probably two or three more recruiting classes like the one Eli Drinkwitz just had. I mean, you can't watch those games this year against those teams and come to any conclusion other than Missouri just doesn't have enough guys, mm-hmm. right? They they have they have three or four guys who would would get meaningful playing time on on Georgia and Florida and Alabama right now, and actually uh, probably most of those guys are leaving this year. 
So this recruiting class, highest ranked uh, Missouri's ever had by rivals, step in the right direction. That now needs to become the rule rather than the exception. If you go back to recruiting at a level where you're ranked 35th, 40th in the country, where Missouri's been most of the last few years, then what you're going to go back to is 6-6 and football. If you can stack a top 20 class on top of a top 20 class with another top 25 class and then maybe get one like up to 15, then you've got a chance to line up and go toe-to-toe with those teams. But I still think that's a minimum of two years away from Missouri. Gabe, Mizzou is a program that has peeled off some pretty good quarterbacks in in recent years. So what's your final impression of Connor Bazelak this season? Man, that's that's the most interesting question to me. Because, like, you look and say, hey, what he did was as a freshman was certainly impressive. SEC freshman of the year, I, I think, exceeded everybody's expectations. But there's still a lot of room for improvement there. I mean, I think he had six touchdown passes. Um, I, I thought his last game of the year was was pretty clearly his worst game of the year. Um, the deep ball accuracy has to improve. Um, we didn't really see him use his legs much. Now, how much of that has to do with coming off an ACL injury? I don't know. Um, you know, is he capable of doing it and just didn't, or or is that not a part of his game? And if that's not a part of his game, it has to be one. Like you can't. You can't compete in college football with a quarterback that's not a threat to run uh, unless you're just lining up elite offensive linemen and receivers, which Missouri is not doing at this point. Uh, So Basilak clearly goes into next year as the starter. I mean, it's his job, but he also, to me, didn't do so much that you just go, hey, we're set for the next three or four years. I mean, there's no question. I don't think. I don't think Missouri's at that point with him by any stretch of the imagination yet. Hey, before we let you go then, did Brady Cook show them anything? And what about Tyler Macon, the recruiter out of East St. Louis? Yeah, I mean, Cook looked looked really good in the one drive against Vanderbilt, right? Then, then came in for, I think it was just a couple snaps against Georgia, and, and obviously things did not go well there. I, I, don't, I still am not sure what Missouri has there. And with Macon, I mean, he's enrolling early, but by next September, when they play the first game of the 2021 season, it will have been nearly two full years before Tyler Macon has played a, a competitive football game. I don't think it's reasonable to expect that kid to come in and win a starting quarterback job as a true freshman. Um, I think Bazelak's the guy next year. And then, you know, I think the real quarterback competition probably happens in the spring of 2022. Gabe, Always great stuff, and we advise people to go to powermazoo.com and subscribe to get all the best information. Thanks so much for taking the time. Happy New Year. All right. Thanks for having me, guys. Take care. That's Gabe DeArmond of powermazoo.com. Does a great job and a bummer for Mizzou, but they do conclude a really good season under the circumstances. Five and five under normal circumstances, you say, eh. but with the new coach <laughs> and with the pandemic, five and five for this program is really good. When we started this show, I remember one of our first shows, we talked about Eli Drinkwitz and what our expectations were for him in this first season. And both of us agreed we had no expectations. So for him to be able to accomplish what he did in this season when no one really expected him to do anything is really impressive. Take it or leave it is coming your way. Get your text into the Air Comfort Service text line 65780 for Teoli on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Take it or leave it. Give us your feedback now by texting 65780. It's Take It or Leave It with Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN.
We do welcome your text to the Air Comfort Service text line, 65780. Michelle Smallman, Randy Carricker, Tanner Hendrickson is here with us for Take It or Leave It. And yesterday, Michelle, Justin Herbert, the quarterback for the L.A. Chargers, set the NFL rookie record for touchdown passes and passed Baker Mayfield, who had passed Peyton Manning. This year, Tua was drafted fifth, Herbert sixth, and, of course, Joe Burrow number one. Take it or leave it. Right now, you would take Herbert over Burrow or Tua. Well, definitely over Burrow because he's injured. Um, but, I mean, you're, you're picking yeah. a quarterback for your future. Well, you know what? I might take that. I might take it. As much as I like Tua and I think that he has a bright future, we haven't seen him put it all together consistently yet. Justin Herbert has balled out this season. I think I might take that. I'm going to take it, too. He's been great, surprisingly, because in college he did not throw for a really good completion percentage, but he's been a really good quarterback for them this year. And as much as I love Joe Burrow, I do have Sam Bradford PTSD and do not (laughs) trust any quarterback coming off a knee injury, even though that might not be fair of me. I just don't. Understandable. (laughs) So I wouldn't go there as as much as I love Joe Burrow. Okay, Randy, so we just talked to Gabe Diarman. We talked about Mizzou and what Eli Drinkwitz was able to accomplish in his first season with the Tigers. Take it or leave it. Under Eli Drinkwitz, while he's the head coach at Mizzou, Mizzou will play in at least one SEC championship game. I will leave that. I think that he'll be good enough for Mizzou and at Mizzou before he gets to an SEC championship game that a Blue Blood program will come and blow him out of the water financially, and he'll leave. So it's not that he's not capable of getting Mizzou there. It's that he's going to leave before the program is at that level. He'll be too good too soon. That's my thing. I could definitely see if he has a good year next year and Texas finally moves on from Tom Herman, I could see Texas coming offer him a bunch of money to go there something like that tanner what do you got for us so christmas on friday and i'm sitting there getting all my gifts and i go wow i'm getting what my dad always got when i was a kid i goes, oh dad your christmas sucks all you got was clothes and ties and nice shirts (laughs) take it or leave it that first adult christmas has to be the worst one ever yeah i'll take that because you've moved on from toys and fun stuff and getting clothes and adult stuff is just completely different. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's the worst. I was really hyped this year because I got an herb cutter. <laughs> I was like, I'm about to own some rosemary in the kitchen. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it's not as exciting as getting something that you've coveted that you really want. Because, mm-hmm. But it also, I also kind of want to leave it because it's a catch-22. Because as an adult, when you have money, you can buy what you want. So you don't have to wait until Christmas for somebody to gift it to you. So that's true. while you are getting clothes and things that you need, it's more of a necessity-based Christmas. You also have some cash in your pocket that if you really yeah. wanted a toy, you know, a gaming console, new phone, whatever it might be, you can probably go out and buy it. According to some reports, Urban Meyer has drawn some interest from some two NFL teams, and apparently he is possibly interested in one. Take it or leave it. Urban Meyer is the next head coach in Jacksonville. Ooh. It's really good. Yeah, I'll take it for fun. Take it or leave it. If word gets to Dabo that Urban is really interested in that job, Urban bolts to go to the NFL. Or excuse Dabo me, does. Dabo bolts to go to the NFL. Another good one. I'll take it. Take it or leave it. Both Urban and Dabo are on NFL sidelines next season. I'm going to take it just because I want that to happen. <laughs> but I just, with, with Urban, it's not that the desire to coach is not there. It's not that great situations have not presented the mm-hmm. opportunity to him. 
It's the stress factor. And right now he's got a really cush deal with Fox where Mm -hmm. he shows up and he has all of these producers helping him out. He just has to watch games and be himself and he gets paid a handsome salary. He has a family life. He doesn't have to worry about the stress and the health issues that he's had to deal with. So it... It better be a really good job and a job that he thinks that he can absolutely win at and not have to stay there for a super long time. Three years ago, the Jaguars had six Pro Bowl defensive players. They're all gone now. They had Blake Bortles. They had a couple of good receivers. They're all gone. They had Leonard Fournette gone. Their general manager is gone. But you do get, in addition to Trevor Lawrence, you probably get a lot of power in Jacksonville. Is Jacksonville a better job than Houston, where you have Deshaun, you have J.J. Watt still, not in his prime anymore, but still pretty good. You're probably going to have a general manager there, a new GM, but Mm -hmm. you'll still get a lot of power. Which owner is better? Which job has better potential? It's a great question. I think if I was Urban, even though I love J.J. Watt, love Deshaun, I think the Texans are probably in a better spot. I would like to be able to build something of my own Mm -hmm. and there's no better piece to build with and around than Trevor Lawrence. Yeah. They've been really impatient in Jacksonville. They've been very patient in Houston. I I think if I were in Urban's shoes, I would probably take Trevor Lawrence too and the ability to build my own thing. From the 618, take it or leave it, the WFT will be saying WTF as the Cowboys win the NFC East next week. Ooh, I'll take that. (laughs) You think so? Yeah. Cowboys are hot. Now, the the question is, on Sunday Night Football, does Philly have enough? Do they care enough to beat Washington that night? Or would Philly rather just keep the Giants or Cowboys out of the playoffs and take it easy? They might be taking it easy without knowing they're taking yeah. it easy. <laughs> you know? uh, I'm going to put my faith behind the WFT. And say that they stave off the Cowboys. Former Battlehawk Taylor Heineke, probably going to start for him. So, let's go Battlehawks. From the 573, if Tony LaRusa and Dave Duncan would have stayed with the cards, we would be looking at Seamart and Waka differently. Take it or leave it. Oh, well. I'm going to leave that. Well, I was going to say, the Michael Waka thing was something beyond anyone's control, including Dave Duncan's. As much as Dave Duncan is a, is a wizard and a genius and can reclaim any pitcher, he, he's not a magician. He can't magically heal someone's shoulder. So I would take that one and move it aside. The Carlos Martinez one is the more interesting case study for me because I wonder if he would have gotten away with as much with Tony La Russa and how Dave Duncan may have worked with him. But I still think I'm going to leave it on both accounts. He was really good. Martinez was for three years, and then things got out of hand. But Dunk and Tony got frustrated with Jaime Garcia, Mm -hmm. and they didn't move on from him. But I still think that Martinez probably would have fallen into the same trap that he fell into. San Diego Padres acquired a Cy Young Award winner and Blake Snell. Take it or leave it. They will win the NL West within the next two years. Leave it. Dodgers. Dodgers, (laughs) Dodgers win that every year. Which is such a bummer. When you think about what they've put together and how exciting and fun that team is, and to think that even if you're a Padres fan, you could say, oh, we got Blake Snell. Oh, but we probably still won't win. Yeah. If the Dodgers wanted to go get Trevor Bauer today, they could. So unfair. Yeah, it really is. 
Thanks, Tanner. Thank you. And thanks for your text to the Air Comfort Service text line 65780. Coming up on Carriker and Smallman, how does Mike Hoffman fit in with the Blues? And does the Cardinals' interest in Ha Song Kim make sense? It's coming your way on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Carriker and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. A fresh perspective on the day's biggest stories. It's Carriker and Smallman's Fresh Take. Brought to you by Schnooks. Get the app that gets you. Download the Schnooks Rewards app today. And Mike Hoffman with that empty net. It's 8.01 in St. Louis. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. Mike Hoffman, formerly of the Florida Panthers, before that the Ottawa Senators, has signed a PTO with the St. Louis Blues. He led the Panthers in goals last year with 29. He was regarded, Michelle, as one of the top free agents in this year's class. Did not sign when most players did and took up all the cap space. So now he'll get an opportunity to make the Blues. Probably already has a deal with the Blues, but because of machinations with the salary cap, Uh, Nothing is guaranteed at this point, but he's a really good addition for a franchise that doesn't plan on having Vladimir Tarasenko for a couple of months. Or Alexander Steen. Um, But I would imagine that, yeah, as you said, that the framework is probably already agreed upon. This is just a a way to get him in, get him acclimated with the team while the Blues figure out a way to, to get the money freed up. But Given the market and the fact that Hoffman probably wasn't garnering the interest as far as the contract that he wanted, he's probably looking at this saying, okay, I want to play for a contender. I can go to the Blues and hopefully showcase my skill set. There's a need there. There's an opportunity for me to play in a top six role and show what I can do. And hopefully I can drive up my interests post-pandemic. But it just seems like such a win-win for both sides, Randy. The Blues were kind of counting on Jordan Cairo to be able to do something this year. Now that necessity isn't there, it'd be nice to have him step up and be great. But Michelle, you could have a group now that includes, and let me give you my thought process between uh, for having Mike Hoffman with O'Reilly and Perron. And by the way, Mike Hoffman wears number 68. So you'd have a line with number 90, number 57 and number 68. But both O'Reilly and Perron are bigger, defensively conscious, conscious guys. Uh, they care about the back end. Hoffman has never been really accused of being that guy, and he doesn't fit the mo of the typical Blues player. He's only 180 pounds, six foot, 180. So you get him with some big fellas that are willing to hit and willing to share the puck, like O'Reilly and Perron. You put those three on a line together. I, I think you've got something. Then your second line until Vladdy comes back could be. Uh, Robert Thomas between Shen and Schwartz. Mm-hmm. Your third line, you could move Zach Sanford over the right wing. He comes down from that line with O'Reilly and Perron. And you could have 
Bozak between Sanford and Blay. And then a pretty good fourth line with Sunquist centering Ivan Barbashev and Kyle Clifford. And then you have people like Kairou and McEachern and some of the others. I think you've got a really good, deep group that can, as Tori Krug said, best. They can come at you in waves. That group could. Yeah, that really was a great way to describe the Blues. How much does this move, if at, at anything at all, change the way you view this Blues team heading into this season? I think that this is going to be a much more, and they scored a lot of goals last year. I don't want to take away from what they did without Vladdy, but they're going to be a really offensively threatening team, and especially on special teams. When you have Krug, Pareko, Falk on the back end, and we can throw anybody else in there that we want to on that left point for the second group. And then you have the likes of Hoffman and Perron and O'Reilly and Shen. You have a lot of really good parts for a power play. I think that this could be a really dynamic power play, which was number one or two in the league last year. I also look at Doug Armstrong, and I think here he goes again. Just another Mm -hmm. unbelievable move that he's pulled out of his hat. He does not sit back and wait for anything. If we want to throw cliches out there, he's playing chess while everyone else is playing checkers. We are sitting here as fans months ago worrying about Alex Petrangelo. Army says, no, no, we're not going to be dumped, okay? I already have developed a plan, and I I am going to move on from this situation and find a great solution in Tory Krug. When Vladimir Tarasenko is out, when we get the news of Alex Dean, Blues fans are sitting here saying, oh, man, are we going to have enough production in the top six? What are the Blues going to do to Philly? So he's like, no, 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 don't worry. I've already gone out, and we figured out a way to bring in Mike Hoffman. He just is constantly constantly aggressive he is constantly taking risks and as a fan i appreciate that out of him and there have been moments over the course of the last three or four years where on free agent day it was asked do players want to come to st louis anymore when john Tavares didn't i remember come here. that and there, there were articles we had discussions here on 101 espn now St. Louis is a destination. This is a place where you come and play for less money to enhance your value because you have a great opportunity to win. Winning a cup certainly helps your case there mm-hmm. because you can say, hey, look what we were able to accomplish. But I wonder how much Ryan O'Reilly is the poster boy for free agents now. If they're looking at St. Louis, they're looking at a guy in O'Reilly who lost his love for the game mm-hmm. and who was really stuck in Buffalo and came to St. Louis and was able to thrive, not only win a cup here, but is now the captain of the team. And I, I think that. You've, you've got examples, tangible examples, if you're yeah. a guy on the outside where you can look and say, hey, if it's not working for me here, St. Louis seems to be a place where people can go and have success. And the, and I think having Craig Berube as a coach helps, too. He seems to be a guy Definitely. that players really want to play for. But you look at Tory Krug only negotiating with one team mm-hmm. on free agent day. He said, I didn't need to talk to anybody else because St. Louis was exactly what I was looking for. When you look at the Blues acquiring a guy last year uh, like Marco Scandella, who signs right. for less. He could have become a free agent and probably gotten more money. There are several examples of guys coming to St. Louis and wanting to play here, even though it might be for a little less money. And Mike Hoffman is just the latest example. Do you think we could transfer that vibe over to the Cardinals, Randy? Perhaps. <laughs> Cardinals were that te- that franchise in baseball one time. And I know that a lot of players still look at the Cardinals as a legacy franchise, as a team that competes in the division every year that's always in the hunt. They look at it as a desirable destination. But I mean combining that with aggressiveness from the front office. That's the key. Because... <laughs> 
Paul Goldschmidt decided to forego free agency and sign with the Cardinals for a below market value deal because the Cardinals gave him a chance to win every year. But it's incumbent upon the front office to go find the players that are willing to do that. And the Cardinals have interest in a really highly sought after free agent. He's a shortstop. And of course, next year, you've got the five shortstops coming on the market, maybe the five best in the game. But the Cardinals have interest in Ha Song Kim. He's from the KBO. He hit 360 with a 397 on base, a 523 slug last year, 30 homers, 109 RBIs. Six teams are interested in Kim, and the Cardinals are one of those. He could, if the Cardinals would get him, move over to third. He could play shortstop. We've heard that Paul DeYoung really doesn't want to move from shortstop. He likes it at short. But I I would think Kim could fit in either at third or at second because they really don't have a guy at the moment that they can count on. Uh, Neither the third baseman Carpenter nor the second baseman Edmund can be considered reliable at the moment. This is intriguing to me because the Cardinals do seem to have success on the international market. Um, obviously, the numbers are intriguing. The, the lack of depth in the infield is intriguing. It seems like it could be a fit. But then when the reports say that Kim's received offers of five years or more from multiple teams, that makes me scratch my head a little bit because I can't really envision a scenario in which the Cardinals, who are kind of chilling and laying in wait, would want to commit themselves to a player for five years unless KK goes to him and says look you might have a five-year offer from another team but this is the place you want to be I'm here Mm -hmm. Uh, you you have that familiarity Uh, and St. Louis is look I had to spend the quarantine here and it was great unless you have KK doing some bidding for you I don't see the Cardinals going five years I'm like you I, I just can't imagine that with where they are right now And I know they need middle infield help, but I can't imagine that that would be the direction they would go. A five-year contract for a Korean player from the Korean league, not a Korean player, but somebody who has no experience yet at the major league level. Right. You don't know how that skill set is going to transfer here. No. But if the Cardinals get him, all the better because they, like you said, they have a great history with KK. Michaelis going all the way back to Sotoguchi, Sumwano. Mm -hmm. They signed players from uh, the East who have done very well here. So maybe that could happen. That is today's Fresh Take here on 101 ESPN. Coming up, the voice of the blues, Chris Kerber, will join us to talk about what he expects to see from newcomer Mike Hoffman. That's next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line and our friend, the voice of the Blues here on 101 ESPN, Chris Kerber, joins us in the Blues booth. Kerbs, good morning. Good to have you with us. How are you doing? Morning, Randy. Doing good. How are you guys? Everything's great. And we've talked a lot about Mike Hoffman on this show and as Blues fans over the course of the last several months. And lo and behold, he gets a PTO with the Blues. What's your initial impression of the fact that he's coming to camp with the Blues? It, this one does kind of feel like it was just a matter of time and was a good fit right from the beginning, doesn't it? I mean, it, it it's one of those things where you look at, okay, the injury to Vladimir Tarasenko, the guy could play in a top six role. Um, you need some goal scoring. You need to, you, you really kind of want to replenish a little bit of depth of what's happened. And, and you look at it and you're like, okay, this, 
this one makes a lot of sense. And you're always wondering, you know, is it possible that they could actually pull it off? And I think when you read the quotes from his agent, Jeremy Rutherford's uh, article on the athletic, you, you really get a sense that there was a, a, it was a good sense of reality of, okay, we've just got to get into camp and understand what the market is right now. And, and this was a good fit for him. Curbs, Randy and I were just talking last segment about this and how a couple years ago we were talking on this air on the station about the Blues and if St. Louis was a desirable place for players to come and play. And obviously winning a cup helps your case, but it does seem like now St. Louis is a destination for top free agents. Well, uh, yeah, you look at the fact that they're in a window, uh, the, the quality of the building, the quality of the practice facility, um, and you know, and and people want to play for a winner, so they know that they're coming in here, and I think that's an important aspect of, uh, you know, of, of what you have to realize here with Mike Hoffman too. That, you know, really for the most part, yeah, I know the Ottawa had one really good run to the Stanley Cup final, but aside from that, it really hasn't been much of an opportunity for Mike Hoffman to play on on good teams, on winning teams, on teams where where the expectation you know, is really there. Now I, I know in Florida, he had, he had teams that had records that were over 500. All right. But, but they only made the playoffs. I mean, they lost in the qualifying round last year, right? They, they only made the playoffs once. If you, when you count that. So I, I look at it and I realize that, you know, here's also a player too, that when he wanted to sign with somebody, I'm sure he wanted to sign with somebody that was knocking on the door of the chance of winning the Stanley cup. Well, if you go look at it, if you look at the top teams in the East, and then the top teams in the West. Let's just say you take the top five in the East and the top five in the West. So essentially about a third of your league in total, you realize those teams don't have a whole lot of cap space. So what's a player like Mike Hoffman to do in that case? And I think the way the Blues have stepped up with this one uh, puts it uh, in great perspective for him, especially during a pandemic year where things are cuckoo. So I I like the way this whole thing is shaking out. Curbs, I really like the way the Blues are talking heading into camp, too. They recognize what we talked about last year after they got knocked out in the first round about how there didn't seem to be a ton of intensity during camp or that uh, that round robin. They really seem, and Ryan O'Reilly talked about this the other day when he was introduced as the captain, they seem to be intent upon starting this season with a high level of intensity. Listen, there. Uh, when you talk to a couple of the, the guys, Randy, you see them. There is a real sense of. I, I, I'm kind of getting that the, the the unspoken sense of bring it on right now. You know, Ryan O'Reilly saying, "Oh, I, I like the fact that we're in the West. Uh, I like the fact that we're going head to head with the top." I, I look at the signing of Hoffman, and you realize that, and if Vladimir Tarasenko could come back. And, and join this team sometime, maybe in, in, in late February to March. You're talking about, I, I don't know that there's a team with better depth than the St. Louis Blues. Some may equal it, but I don't know that it's better. I, I, you put all that in there. I mean, Braden Shen really psyched up about the fact that this team is ready to play and they feel that they can go out and win another Stanley Cup. And this is this is after a year where you essentially lost Jay Bullmeister, Alexander Steen, and Alex Petrangelo. But there is really... Uh, a, a vibe around this team of let's go get it. And I think if you get some decent goaltending out of uh, Jordan Bennington and then you get the the backup wins you're going to need from Billy Huso, this team is going to be in a really, really good spot. I'm going to ask this. I, don't, I know it's not putting you on the spot because I know you've thought about it. Where are you going to put Hoffman? What line would you like to see him on? 
You know what? He's a left-handed shot. I think ideally right now you'd like to see him on the on the line with – and this is going to sound a little bit crazy, but all right. But I think that the signing of Mike Hoffman on a line with Shannon Schwartz, hmm. right? If if he has – that's if he can play the right side. If he plays the left side, then you're looking at O'Reilly and Perron. But here's what it's doing to me, for, for, in my opinion, Randy. This is, this is why this is such a great signing on, on so many fronts. Okay, first off, Doug Armstrong is getting a player that essentially he's buying low with a high yield of return, all right? And then this is all making the assumption that he does sign a contract with the St. Louis Blues after the tryout is over. All right, so the, the other thing that it does, and this is something Doug likes to do, is think of the internal competition now. You know, if, you, if a week ago, if you're Zach Sanford, if you're Jordan Cairo, if you're Robert Thomas, you're looking at this situation saying, okay, two of those three are going to be in the in the top six, mm-hmm. Right. And, well, you know, right now you, you could end up with a situation where none of the three end up in the top six. But if you put him on on that, that, that line with Shannon Schwartz, you give Sanford another opportunity to continue to go with Perron and Ryan O'Reilly. You know, you then put the added pressure on Robert Thomas to play better to earn his way in the top six. You put the pressure on Jordan Cairo uh, to, to play better. And then what happened? I mean, like I said, if we bring up the fact that Tarasenko could get back in that lineup, when that happens, and if there's a click with Mike Hoffman, all of a sudden you could be potentially talking about a third line that consists of a Tyler Bozak, a Robert Thomas, and a and a Zach Sanford. Now, what are you doing with what are you doing with Sammy Blay? Who you know who, who could be in that mix? And then if you if that's your third line, your fourth line is back to a, a Sunquist, Clifford, and Barbashev, and you're looking at that going, okay, who is deeper in the National Hockey League? So I. I'm not. I'm not so sure that he's penciled in one way or another, or that things are written in stone with some of those other young guys. I like the competition that this brings to those young guys to really have to step up and earn it. Because I mean, again, if Vladimir Tarasenko gets healthy and when he does, can he can be effective? Holy smokes, you've got that internal competition. Doug Armstrong likes to talk about. Curbs, when I think about new faces coming to the Blues, we mentioned Hoffman, Tory Krug. We have Jim Montgomery on the staff. It seems like a lot of positives heading towards the Blues power play heading into this season. Uh, oh, shoot, they have so many options. And, you know, Michelle, it's funny that, that you bring that up. I started thinking about that. And, of course, you know, Mark Savard, who was kind of the, the, the power play guru for the Blues uh, from a coaching standpoint, he's obviously not returning, but I then I, I thought about the addition of Jimmy Montgomery to this coaching staff, and and I really like the the experience and aspect of what that brings. I I, I would love to be a fly on the wall of the discussions with him and, and Baruby about how this power play and who's going to be on which unit. Are you going to put Pareko on one? Which one? Or which one is Krug going to end up being on? You know, Mike Hoffman with that left-handed shot, which I think is uh, is is hugely important on the power play. What well, are they where are they going to put him? I mean, they have. You, they're going to be able to roll out two power play units that are going to look like number ones with the way this thing could line up. Yeah, it, it's a remarkable. And we forget on the day that they acquired Falk, that was one of the main things that Army talked about was Falk's shot from the right point. You, you could have a, a, a group of players on a power play unit that weren't even here for the Stanley Cup championship. Yeah, and, and the re- one of the reasons and areas that I think that's going to be pretty critical, uh, guys, is, is look at the... Look at the schedule that came out and look at what it means. I, I think Craig Berube knows that there's going to be some nights that he's going to want to sit a player or two as a healthy scratch just to get him some rest. Uh, and 
And then, of course, we don't know the impact of what COVID might do to a schedule and compact a part of it or or what have you. So that depth and how they're going to be able to utilize different players is going to be really, really important throughout this season. And and, and it's one thing that they have. And, you know, you're look, you're a full season separated from when you won the Stanley Cup. You've had to replenish your roster a little bit, which is the M.O. of the what some teams have done. But my goodness, have they put themselves in a great spot to compete again. Curbs, I want to circle back to something you were talking about when you mentioned this team has a bring it on mentality right now. Where do you think that stem from? Stems from? Do you think it's from the fact that they feel like they have unfinished business from the way that the the playoffs ended early in the bubble? Or do you think it's because of the fact that there are new faces here and you have uh, a, a new captain taking over? What do you think is causing that attitude with the Blues? Well, I, I think you know the honestly, I think it comes from the fact that the majority of these guys that are with this team won that Stanley Cup and. So many of the players that have won it will tell you that, yeah, they won it once, but it just makes you hungry to win it again and relive that. And I I can completely understand where that's coming from. And so I think that they realized that there was a missed opportunity last year. I don't think that any one of them were happy with a first-round exit at the hands of the Vancouver Canucks. I don't think any of them liked how they played at all. Uh, Some players were angry. Some were frustrated. And and, and they also know that they were dealing with some injuries and some health issues and things like that, but it, it left a really bad taste in their mouth. And so I think, I think the combination of winning in 19, the early exit in 20, and then some of the changes and depth added to uh, this roster to keep the level of excitement up the same way that the level of excitement changed with the acquisitions of Bozak and Perron and Ryan O'Reilly on July 1st of a couple of years ago. I think you put all that together, and that's where it comes from. And, and honestly, I, I think you can just shake it down, Michelle, to the fact that it's a championship and a winning attitude and high expectations they're putting on themselves. Hey, Curbs, last thing, and, and this is down the road, but the season is going to go so fast. San Jose starts with an eight-game trip because they aren't allowed to play in San Jose, and then they're scheduled to host the Blues on uh, in February, right at the beginning of uh, – uh, or no, at the end of February. I guess my question is, do you have any idea what San Jose is going to do if they aren't allowed to play home games? No, it's just a matter, I guess, kind of like the 49ers said to do it. It's just a matter of what they'll, they'm sure that they have worked through a plan B scenario of what building to go into. Um, Vegas is uh, always seems to come up as kind of a hub city and opportunity there. So that would be a possibility where the flight's not too bad. So, I've got to think that that's really their only option is to obviously you go, you'll base in another city when you do that. I like how they started them on the road and, and you know what, it's going to be tough for them. I still, although I know people in San Jose might argue with me on this, but I think when the blues beat them in in that series in six games, they didn't just win a series. They broke a franchise. They did. I mean, they really did. And, um, and it'll be interesting to see where they go. That that's a franchise that has proven that they can rebound. It's a proof that they've, twice been able to go from missing the playoffs to deep runs the next year. So we'll see how that impacts them. But this, Randy, that's the flexibility and the challenges that that every team's going to be faced. And it's no different than what we've seen in the NFL, no different than what we saw in Major League Baseball with what happened with the Cardinals and and Florida, No, no different than what we've seen in college football or college basketball. You have got to go into this season with the ability and thought process of being as flexible as possible. And if you're like, 
I mean, if, if you're a hockey player in the NHL right now and you've got the mental capacity of a Jaime Garcia where room service coming up late really flusters you, you're going to have a hard time playing through this year. Curbs, great to have you with us. Thanks so much for the time. We appreciate it. We'll uh, talk to you soon. <laughs> All right. Thanks, Randy. Thanks, Michelle. See you guys. That is the voice of the Blues, Chris Kerber, here on 101 ESPN. Not only eight in a row on the road for the Sharks to start their season, but 12 of their first 14 are on the road, too. <sighs> Yikes. And I guess they could move to Arizona, but I wonder if it might make more sense from a league standpoint just to have them play their games on the road. If you're supposed to play in uh, at home against St. Louis, just have them come here. I guess the only difficulty would be the teams that have NBA franchises in their building. I was just thinking about logistics, how that, how that would work. But that might only include, uh, for the Western Conference, might only be Staples Center. Might be the only hmm. one. I think everybody else is hockey only in our our conference. Oh no, Colorado would be too. Oh yeah. So, but they could. I'm like Curb said. They probably already have figured it out. Yeah. Coming up, we've got the fight for you. Our first fight after Christmas and before the new year here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Welcome to the fight on Character and Smallman in the red corner. Average Joe. Welcome back to Carriker and Smallman here on 101 ESPN. I'm Michelle Smallman. Randy Carriker is Megamind. And for those of you who don't know what this segment is, it is called The Fight. And it's where average Joe listener takes on Randy Carriker, who knows everything about sports, St. Louis and otherwise. It's a trivia competition, but it's more like a massacre. Tanner, I was out for two weeks. Did anyone beat Randy while I was gone? Uh, maybe one. I, I think uh, Randy was maybe undefeated, though. Yeah, typically. It's pretty rare if somebody beats Randy. So with all that being said, let's welcome in our challenger this morning. Lonnie is with us. Good morning, Lonnie. How you doing? How you doing? Pretty good. How are you, Michelle? I am doing well. How was your holiday break if you got one? Uh, it was pretty good. Um, before we get started, can I do a quick shout out really quick? Of course. The floor is yours. I just wanted to uh, tell Shay, Shaylin Orlati to have a good day. And I, I love her very much. We love that. Okay, great shout out. What, what was the name, Shaylin? Yeah, Shaylin. All right, so shout out to Shaylin. And hopefully, Lonnie, in addition to the shout out, you can bring home a W. So let's get it rolling here with the fight. Question number one, who is the only active NBA player to win an Olympic gold medal, an NCAA championship, and an NBA title? Is it Anthony Davis, Carmelo Anthony, or Kevin Durant? Um, I want to say Kevin Durant. Who was the 2015 Cardinals win leader? Was it John Lackey, Michael Waka, or Carlos Martinez? Uh, I'm one to say John Lackey. Question number three, Lonnie. Who led the Blues in points in the 2015-2016 season? Was it Vladimir Tarasenko, Alexander Steen, or Paul Stastny? My gut's one to say Steen, but let's go Stastny. And last one before we get Randy, when was the last time a wild card team won the Super Bowl? Was it the 2017-2018 season, 2010-2011 season, or the 2007-2008 season? 
Um, can I get those options one more time, please? Yeah, was it 2017, 2018, 2010, 2011, or 2007, 2008? Let's go 2007-2008. Okay, we're checking our score. Randy is on his way in. Lonnie, confidence check from you. Now that you've completed the fight, how do you think you did? (laughs) I think I did all right. (laughs) I didn't know where you were going with that. (laughs) Randy is getting settled in here. Randy, please say good morning to Lonnie. Lonnie, how you doing? Pretty good, bud. How are you? Everything's great. Thanks for listening. Thanks for playing. We appreciate it. All right, Randy, question number one for you. Yes. Who is the only active NBA player to win an Olympic gold medal, an NCAA championship, and an NBA title? The only one Olympic gold medal, NCAA, and uh, let's see here. Who would be that person? Probably a reasonably prolific player. Um I'll do the lifeline. Is it Anthony Davis, Carmelo Anthony, or Kevin Durant? Um, okay. KD did not win an NCAA championship. Carmelo Anthony has yet to win an NBA championship. So Anthony Davis would appear to be the one that has won an NBA championship, won an NCAA championship in 2012. I guess he won a gold medal, so I'll go with him. Randy, who was the 2015 Cardinals win leader? 2015, that was the year that uh, Adam Wainwright got hurt. And I think that was Michael Walker's best year. He He faded down the stretch, but I think he won like 17. So I'll go with Walker. Randy, who led the Blues in points in the 2015-2016 season? 2015-2016. Was it Steiner? I'm going to go with Alexander Steen. And Randy, when was the last time a wild card team won the Super Bowl? Wild card won the Super Bowl. Um... I th- was it the 2007 Giants? They won in Green Bay, but that was the NFC Championship game. They were nine and seven, or was it the? Did they win in nine 2011? Um, I think that team was pretty good. Maybe not though. It was. I'm pretty sure it was one of those. I'll just go with the Giants. It's the last team to win, uh, last wildcard team to win. I don't have to give you your I'll, – I'll say Giants. Okay. We have a winner. We have a winner and still champion, Randy Carricker. Brought to you by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers, your best choice for quality tires and expert auto service. Dobbs. Sorry, Lonnie. Randy beat you. 
Two to nothing. At least you got your shout out in, though. So let's run through our answers here. Anthony Davis is the only active NBA player to win an Olympic gold medal, an NCAA championship, and an NBA title. It was Michael Waka, as Randy said, was 17, who was the Cardinals' wins leader in 2015. Vladimir Tarasenko led the Blues in points in the 2015-2016 season with 74. And the last time a wildcard team won the Super Bowl, was 2010-2011 that season. It was the Green Bay Packers that beat the Steelers 31-25. to Lonnie, thank you so much for playing. Have a great day. You too. Thanks for, thanks for the chance, and I love the show, guys. Thank you, Lonnie. Good to have you with us on 101 ESPN. And coming up, we look back at the decade, the best of 2015, coming your way on 101 ESPN. We are right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. <laughs> We look back at the decade and we're at 2015, which was a pretty fun year. If you were a sports fan here in St. Louis, there were a lot of bad things that happened, of course. But at the end of the day, Michelle, when you look at what the Cardinals and the Blues were able to accomplish and the Rams spent their last season here in St. Louis, but the Cardinals won 100 games, got knocked out in the playoffs. The Blues in 2014-2015 were 51-24-7 and for 109 points. They did lose in the first round of the playoffs, but we saw a lot of winning. We did, but when you think back, though, you did see a lot of winning, but a lot of heartbreak. That was one of those years where you, where the Cardinals had 100 wins. And remember, the division came down to the wire. Mm-hmm. You had so many teams with, a, with, you know, I believe 98, 9900 wins. And then you lose to the Cubs. You lose to the Cubs. That's rough. And that was one of those years where the Blues had wins, but you get bounced again. And you're thinking, is this ever going to happen for us, ever? And then the Rams were playing their last game. So, yeah, yeah, I mean, you saw a lot of winning, but a lot of heartbreak, too, Randy. A lot of that heartbreak happened in the first week of the baseball season. The Cardinals were in Milwaukee, and Adam Wainwright hurt himself at the plate. Because of what he's been through, Dan. Popped up. Adam Lynn has it for the out. And Wainwright is limping. Oh, no. Not exactly sure what Adam did, but couple steps out of the box and he started limping on that pop-up in the infield and very concerned Mike Matheny and Chris Conroy there's something with his back pops it up everything's fine here he starts to run and then trips a bit and then it's almost like Achilles boy hard to say Achilles was right when you think back about and think about what Adam Wainwright did in the 2020 season. And then we hear that clip being played of him and the Achilles injury in 2015. Doesn't it make what he was able to do this past season? When you think about what happened in the five years span between that Achilles injury and now all that more impressive as much as he was hurt. Yes. Yeah. It really is remarkable. And that year was pretty amazing for the Cardinals too, because even without Wainwright, the starting pitching wound up being great. Lackey was 13 and 10 with a 2.77. Waka 17 and 7 with a 3.38. Martinez 14 and 7 with a 3.01. Lynn with a 3.03, winning a dozen games. And Jaime Garcia 10 and 6 with a 2.43. The Cardinal team ERA that year, Michelle, was 2.94, which was the best of anybody in a century. Whew. For a team. Impressive. It was really good, but then they went to the playoffs, as you mentioned. They took on the Cubs in the first round, and in the deciding <laughs> game, they got hit pretty hard. 
And Schwarber sends one high and deep, way back. And this ball is long gone. Mercy. What in the world? Over the scoreboard on the Sheffield it goes. Schwarber with a booming home run. And the Cubs have a 6-4 lead. Whoa. And actually, the ball didn't get out onto Sheffield Avenue. It just stayed right on top of the scoreboard for a long time. There's a few painful Cardinals postseason moments in recent memory mm-hmm. for me. Obviously, Travis Ishikawa, any of the big poppy home runs. That was last week. <laughs> yeah. But the, the Kyle Schwarber home run scoreboard moment is something that I'll always look back on and remember thinking, are the Cubs going to be good? Are they going to be able to do this? Are they going to be able to win the World Series? Are they ahead of schedule? What's happening? That moment really shook a lot of Cardinals fans because for so long, the Cubs would get close. They wouldn't get it done. Something would happen. Mm -hmm. But in that moment, I think a lot of people thought, wow, okay, this could really happen for them. And it did. And then the Mets made us really happy in the next round when they swept them. Yeah, that's true. That part of it was good. It was a dramatic year in Missouri at the University of Missouri. Gary Pinkle announced his retirement as the most successful head coach in Tigers history. The most important thing, uh, sorry, is, is my players at, you know, in Toledo and here at Mizzou. I'm going to miss that. I'm going to miss them. I'm going to miss their interaction, being around them, scolding them when I had to scold them and, and hugging them and, and touching them every day. And uh, that's what I'm going to probably, that's, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to miss the most, uh, uh, just just the, being, being around the players. I was told recruits, they're Tiger for life when they come to Mizzou. Okay, so this isn't, this isn't a four or five a year decision. It's a lifetime decision. And I tell recruits, you're going to have my phone. And I tell my players, we're going to, you're going to have my phone number and your phone forever. And I'm going to have yours. And you call me anytime you need me for anything. And um, that's certainly what I'll, I'll miss the most. And Gary had been diagnosed with lymphoma. He is doing fine. Last we heard, the cancer had gone into remission. And the program obviously has not been the same. But He's, he took them to four different championship games, Michelle. Two Big 12 championship games, two SEC championship games. That's unprecedented in Missouri history. Yeah, and it looks like they finally got a coach in Eli mm-hmm. Drinkwitz that can hopefully take them back to where they were during the Gary Pinkle era. But an amazing coach that did so much for Mizzou. But you hear it in his voice. An amazing man who a lot of people really love to play for. And he really fostered a great culture and identity for those Mizzou football teams. It was a weird and frustrating year for the Blues. We mentioned they had 109 points. They got knocked out in the first round by Mike Yo's Minnesota Wild. Jake Allen did not have the best of playoff series. And for all the great regular season success the Blues were enjoying. Once again, they came up short in the playoffs. What were you thinking in that moment as a Blues fan, as a tortured Blues fan? I I was wondering, obviously, like I was every year, if it was ever going to happen for them because they were so good during the regular season. And that was a really built for the playoffs Minnesota team. They were closer than a lot of people give them credit for. As a matter of fact, I talked to Marco Scandella about that when he came here, about how they had a lot of really good players. Their goaltender, Devin Dubnik, was playing great. They were they were a half inch away from getting to a final and winning, but they just didn't have the one big guy like the Blues had. If they would have had Vladimir Tarasenko that year, they probably would have won the Stanley Cup. But they never got that big guy to put them over the top. But that was a really good team the Blues lost to. That being said, no excuse to lose in the first round. When the Blues had what they had that year, 
there's no way they should have lost in the first round. I was um, up in Connecticut working for ESPN at the time, and a lot of my coworkers did not have a hockey team. So I, I convinced so many people. I'm like, <laughs> get on the Blues bandwagon. Trust me. This is a good team. This is going to be so fun. We can watch all of the games. I was working a night shift at the time. We could cheer for the Blues, and then they get bounced in the first round, and I had to explain to everyone what used to be the torture of being a Blues fan. Mm-hmm. But obviously now that's all wiped away. We went through the 2015 NFL season expecting that the Rams would be spending their last year in St. Louis. We had hope. Dave Peacock spent that year and Bob Blitz trying to build a stadium here in St. Louis. They reached the point where they did have an actionable stadium. And we thought when the Rams played their last game of the 2015 season that they would wind up here in St. Louis. Final 37 seconds. In what could be the Rams' final home game in St. Louis, it's a victory. 31-23 over the Buccaneers. Then the Rams went out to the West Coast to play a couple of games out there. They took their weight equipment with them, and it never came home. They they kept it out there between the two games that they played. The team never came home. They spent the they, they spent the time practicing out there between a couple of West Coast games. And as we know now, it was over on that date that mm-hmm. the Rams played their final home game against the Buccaneers. They had no chance of ever returning, and it was over at that point. Hearing that final call just stirred something inside me, and it brought back a rush of emotion, Randy. And I remember how gross it felt to not know what was going to happen to your team, to have it hanging in the balance, and as a fan, to wonder how you should feel watching this team potentially for the last time. Should I have hope that it's going that it's going to turn out in our favor and they're going to come back, knowing that you have no control over it whatsoever, mm-hmm. that you've poured your money and your emotions and your time into this team, and none of it matters. And it, it didn't matter on that night for those of us that showed up at the Edward Jones Dome and for the people that really wanted St. Louis to have a team like Chris Long and James Laurinaitis, it was out of their hands and there was no chance even on that date of the team staying in St. Louis. And Kevin Demoff has gone on record as saying that the team would never play another game in St. Louis. That might come, come back to haunt him a little bit, but he said it. And hopefully someone was rolling on that. (laughs) After the baseball season, Jason Hayward and John Lackey both left the Cardinals for the team that had beaten them in the playoffs. Joe Madden had uh, managed uh, them to their division, to the NLCS. They didn't win the division. The Cardinals did. But Hayward was a big part of the Cardinals in 2015, led them in hitting. Lackey was a key element in terms of not only being a really good starting pitcher, but providing some much-needed sandpaper to the locker room, Mm -hmm. and those two took their wares to Chicago instead as free agents. That was unfamiliar territory for Cardinals fans for several reasons. Not only did you lose to the Cubs in the postseason, but then you're losing free agents there. And not only that, remember Jason Hayward on his way out making comments about Mm -hmm. maybe how the culture in Chicago was a better fit for someone like him. Cardinals fans weren't used to that. They weren't used to losing to the Cubs at anything, whether it's player acquisition or in the postseason. So that was a weird time for Cardinals fans. And then we had to watch that Cubs dynasty as great as it was for all of those years. That was really frustrating for Cardinal fans to watch. Uh, How many World Series did they win in a row? Wait, let me check the numbers. I think one. I think only one. Oh. Okay, so not quite a dynasty then, I guess. 
for them, though, that, that's that's that, a dynasty. That is, it is, yeah. <laughs> to beat the Cardinals in the postseason and then to finally capture a World Series. If you're a Cubs fan, that's all you could ever ask yeah. for after what you've endured for your entire lifetime. As we continue our look at the decade, that's 2015 here on 101 ESPN. Coming up with Michelle and Randy, does the Mike Hoffman signing make the Blues the best team in the West? It's coming your way on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Opinions do matter. Time for today's big thing with Character and Smallman on 101 ESPN. Powered by SSM Health Express Clinic at Walgreens. Visit SSMHealth.com for more information. It is 9.01 in St. Louis. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. Michelle Smallman, Randy Carricker, great to have you with us. And today's big thing, the Blues have invited Mike Hoffman to camp on a PTO. That seems like a formality to me. It seems like Mike Hoffman will be a member of the Blues, scored 29 goals for the Panthers last year. He has six 20-goal seasons. He fits the bill of what the Blues are looking for with Vladimir Tarasenko out and... He's a guy, Michelle, that could provide some big-time offense for the Blues. The question is, where does he take them? Does does the signing of Mike Hoffman put the Blues at the top of a very, very tough Western division? Hmm. Do you think it takes them above Colorado? I don't think it does. I, I don't think it takes the Blues above Colorado or Vegas. I think it makes them equal, and that's what will make this such an interesting division because I think those are three of the four or five best teams in the league. Tampa and Boston would also be in that group. But I think if you have a logical look at the five, if you're going to put together a list of the five best teams in the NHL, I think you put the, put the Blues, Colorado, and Vegas on that list. And the Blues may have the best goalie. We don't know about Robin Leonard for for an entire season or if Marc-Andre Fleury still has it. We don't know about the goaltending situation in Colorado. If those guys can handle it for a full season and a playoff without getting hurt, I do think that in terms of starting goalies, now we don't know anything about the Blues backup goalie, Ville Husso, but in terms of starting goalies, I think the Blues have an advantage there. What? From Bennington's standpoint, I still have some questions there. While I know what he is capable of, I don't know what we're going to get from him this upcoming season. And as you mentioned, we don't know what we're going to get from Billy Huso. Mm-hmm. So I do think when you look at that situation, even though there are questions in the goaltending situations and all of the contenders in the West, I do think having a tandem with Marc-Andre Fleury and Leonard gives Vegas a little bit of an advantage, knowing at least where the right. baseline is for those two guys. And when I think about scheduling this upcoming coming season, having a goalie tandem that you can rely on is probably going to work in their favor. It will. Now, Vegas, I think one of the things that they'll run into is the Blues can go six, seven, eight, maybe even nine deep on defense. I don't think that Vegas can say that. They have Petro at the top and they have Theodore, but beyond those two, I don't think that they have guys where you say that that guy has a potential to be a difference maker. Whereas I, I do think with the Blues, when you have Pareko, Scandella, Krug, Falk, and then Gunderson, who's come up big at playoff time in the past, uh, when, when you have a Bortuzzo who can do good things for you, I think the Blues have 
a lot more guys who can make a difference in a game. And especially if defensemen get hurt, I think the Blues' depth defensively will benefit them greatly. And all of these teams have really good depth offensively up front. Everybody can run four lines at you. And I wonder how much of an X-factor Justin Falk is going to be in that equation. Because... He hasn't been what the Blues expected him to be. He hasn't been what he expected to be since he came to St. Louis. But things are different now. And I wonder, with the stability, with the level of comfort, having been here now a full season, how that's going to translate to him on the ice. And if we see him take that step towards the player that he once was, what that's going to look like for the Blues. And I have to believe that just playing the right side, he's much more comfortable on the right side, not being moved around, not having to play the left side. That'll benefit him as well. But at the end of the day, a line, if you put Hoffman in the Blues' top six, a line of, for example, O'Reilly, Perron, and Hoffman. Or if you put Shen and Schwartz with Hoffman, like Curbs suggested, you really do have some dynamic scoring ability up front. So I do think the Blues are right there with everybody. Maybe not better, but as good as anybody in the West. I can't wait for them to get into action and be able to listen to the games here on 101 ESPN. It's right around the corner. Yep, the 13th of January is when the Blues start off. The other news of the day from a transaction standpoint is that the Padres are on the verge of acquiring Blake Snell. I don't think that's official yet, but they're going to get Blake Snell from Tampa for four prospects. They were a team, what were they missing last year come playoff time when Lamette and Clevenger got hurt? They were missing starting pitching. Now they get a guy that three years ago won an American League Cy Young Award who dominated the Dodgers in the World Series. And Blake Snell is a guy that can go out there and give you innings, even though the Rays didn't let let him. He can give you innings and it gives them a really good deep starting rotation and replaces Mike Clevenger who got hurt. And even though this was a great acquisition for them and Snell did, as you mentioned, dominate the Dodgers, do you think it gives the Padres enough firepower to overtake the Dodgers? No. <laughs> I don't either. No, the, the Dodgers are just so dominant. It's really hard to imagine that any team outside of the Yankees could do what they do because if they lose somebody, they can go out and replace them. Now, have they done it? No. They did go out and get Mookie Betts last year, but they have not, as far as I'm concerned, they haven't unleashed all the fury of their financial ability. If if they wanted to do more, they could do a lot more. But I appreciate the Padres going for it. I appreciate them looking at the construction of their team and saying, we have a chance to improve and let's go after the Dodgers. Let's just not sit back and be complacent. It reminds me, Randy, of the Rockets when Daryl Morey said, we're building our team to beat the Warriors. Mm -hmm. So many other teams are going to sit back and wait for their domination to end, but we're going to build the team specifically to go after the Warriors. And I I appreciate the Padres saying, okay, what do we need? Starting pitching. Who is out there? Oh, a guy that has dominated the team that we're looking straight in the eye as our main competition. I like that they're aggressive. And they have one of the best young pitchers in baseball, one of the best prospects in Mackenzie Gore. They've got Denilson Lamette, who was in the hunt actually for the Cy Young last year until he got hurt at the end of the season. Zach Davies, Chris Paddock had a very good year. They have a lot of good things going for them in terms of youth and quality. And If things don't go the Dodgers' way from an injury standpoint, the Padres are poised to at least make a run there. They'll be be the second-best team in the league, right? The Dodgers are the best. I don't see anybody in the East. This is pending what happens with uh, JT Real Muto. If Real Muto goes to Washington, maybe they could 
live up to what the Padres are. I don't think anybody in the Central certainly is what the Padres are. Padres would be favored in this division and probably right now at the moment would be favored in the East too. And with this deal, two catchers uh, leaving San Diego, mm-hmm. do you think this in any way impacts the Yadier Molina sweepstakes? I would think so because Yadier would definitely be the best catcher on the Padres. And for one year, if you want to go for it for one year, sign him for two, but go for it for one because they have another nice prospect catching too. I see no reason why he shouldn't be interested by them and they shouldn't be interested in him because he'll make all those young pitchers a lot better. And that's ultimately what they want to do, right? Is make everybody better you would think so so he could do that i'm sure that he would have interest in playing for them doesn't it that team especially with the fun that they have just the energy and the vibe of the team i could see yachty going in there and providing a different layer for them Mm -hmm. but also to your point about him making them better yes from a tactical standpoint of course he's going to do that but don't you think that a team like that could use a little of that relentless Yadier Molina juice, that competitive fire that I don't really care what the Dodgers have. We are going to go out there and we're going to beat them attitude. Right. Especially when you have a guy who like Machado, who has a tendency to get bored. And I think Yadi would probably command the respect of a guy like that and have him play every day. And he had a great year. He was great last year, but he has shown a tendency to get bored in the past and not really compete like he should. I think Yadi would bring out the best in him. And if I have a guy my number one prospect, like Mackenzie Gore, who's going to show up this year, and I could have a catcher to help him develop, I would definitely want Yachty for that reason, too. He, he would make Snell better. He'd make Lamette better. He'd just make them better. Now, offensively, probably not, but I don't think that they'll take a, a, a backtrack. I don't think they'll go in reverse offensively if they sign him either. I think he definitely does make them better, and I think that's something to, to look out for because he did say that... There were four teams that had interest in him. Mm-hmm. The Yankees and Mets were two of them. The Mets have their catcher. Since then, the Yankees have picked up the Gary Sanchez option. But you still have the Angels and the Padres. And the Padres, he he says he wants to win. Padres make the most sense to me if, if that's where he wants to go. Weren't the Nationals a team that was also floated out there? Right. But they everybody seems to be waiting for Real Muto, except the Mets didn't. But Philly... And the the Nationals, they're waiting for Real Muto, who's the best going right now. Mm-hmm. Nothing wrong with that. That's Michelle. I'm Randy. Coming up, we're going to take a look back at 2016 as we look back at the decade. The best and worst of 2016 next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. <laughs> We look back at the decade and the best and worst of 2016, and at least we got the worst out of the way early in 2016, Michelle, right? (laughs) Yeah, you could say that. That's one way to look at it, Randy. (laughs) January 12th in Houston, NFL owners, by a 30-2 vote, allowed the St. Louis Rams and the city of St. Louis, the community had done everything that the NFL had asked in terms of having an actionable stadium. But that didn't mean anything on January 12th in Houston when NFL owners voted to move the team back to Los Angeles. 101 ESPN breaking news alert. Keep it locked here for all relocation news. Uh, Randy uh, is in Houston at the owners meeting, so we'll keep you up to date on what's going on. You're going to hear it from here from us first. So, like I said, keep it locked here. 101 ESPN. 
I want you guys to hear something coming out of San Diego. Is there any reason for hope at this point for the city of San Diego keeping the Chargers? No, I've, I've referred to the the one thing, the theme of the day. Chargers are involved in Los Angeles. Wow. So the NFL as we know it is no more. It's it's changed. Now we have the L.A. Chargers. Let's go to Randy in Houston right now, man. San Diego, the Chargers, are moving to Los Angeles. Now, that leaves Oakland and the Rams left on the table to figure out where they're going. Carson Englewood. We've heard Englewood is off the table. What have you heard? Boots on the ground in Houston. Yeah, Inglewood off the table for one team. However, the first round of votes is complete now. The Rams and Chargers in Inglewood got more votes than the Chargers and Raiders in Carson. Now, neither of them obviously got to 24 votes, and that's notable. Uh, but it's going to take more time. There's going to have to be more voting that takes place for one of these entities to get to 24 votes. And obviously, there has been movement on the part of Dean Spanos, who has Late as yesterday, his representative said that they had no interest in partnering with Stan Kroenke. Let's bring in Darren Ravel, ESPN Sports Business Reporter. We're trying to make heads or tails of this whole thing, and the information is coming fast and furious, and we're trying to figure out which is true, which is not, which makes sense, and which does not. So now we're hearing it's the Rams to TBD in Inglewood. Is that which is that where you are right now, Mr. Ravel? Yes. But 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 hold on. Here here here's the one bit of caution I would say. Uh, remember that everything out of this is going to be politically motivated because we've gotten to this state of disaster, which is Goodell and the NFL's fault that he allowed three teams to apply, and essentially he's going to come out of a curtain and basically say your team is moving this is even though it won't mean that people won't follow the nfl anymore i want to be clear this is more of a disaster than any of the previous things that have gone on with the nfl over the past two years i never looked at so you're you're calling this another failure by roger goodell absolutely now here's the thing I'm not downgrading domestic violence. I'm not downgrading any of the individual circumstances that caused all the controversy. But this is absolutely the NFL's fault. Darren, does it seem like the NFL is just forcing Spanos on Kronk? I mean, Dean Spanos has talked about the fact that with his bond with Oakland already, that they already have the agreement on. Is the NFL just forcing these two together and trying to get them to broker this deal? Uh, listen, I I'm interested to see how much the fact that Stan Kroenke has done what he has in St. Louis, what type of leverage that is playing. And because, you know, there's a there's the idea that you know, he's just going to pick up and go anyway if he doesn't get what he wants. Randy, back to you in Houston, man. The Chargers are already moving to L.A. It was determined earlier in the day that the Rams will not go to Inglewood by themselves. So it'll either be Chargers and Rams in Inglewood or Chargers and Raiders in Carson. And right now, the relocation committee, the six-man relocation committee, which, by the way, voted 5-1 in favor of the Carson project and announced that and recommended it this morning. Those guys are meeting with representatives of the Rams, Raiders, and Chargers, presumably to hammer out a deal in which... The Chargers and Raiders can break their contract, and the Rams and Chargers could go to Inglewood together. So that's the latest that we have. 
News Alert. All right, BT DFAR back in the fast lane. Let's bring in Jason Cole. Mr. Cole, how are you, sir? Uh, kind of relieved, I guess. Kind of relieved. What are you relieved about? That it's over? What are you hearing right now? That it's, that it's over. That, that they will have a partnership between the Rams and the Chargers in Englewood is what I'm, what I'm reporting. The Raiders are going to give money to stay in Oakland. It's just a matter now of uh, when the Chargers join the Rams in, in Los Angeles. Remember the logic we talked about? Uh, if you fix the Chargers and Oakland in California and you keep the Rams here, you solve all three problems. I, I guess the, the NFL didn't agree with our math. And the vote, 30-2. to two. Stan Kroenke came out and spoke to the media, the St. Louis media, for the first time in four years. On that January 12th, he hadn't spoken to the St. Louis media since he announced Jeff Fisher as the new head coach in 2011. It was but almost January 2012. So the first time he'd spoken to the St. Louis media in four years as the owner of an NFL franchise. And that was January 12th, Michelle, of 2016. Randy... That montage was brutal, absolutely brutal, because it brought back all those memories of that day of so many people glued to the TV, glued to their phone, hitting refresh on their timelines or on their computers, just waiting to see how this vote was going to shake out, knowing they had no control whatsoever of the outcome, but that their team could potentially be ripped from them. And that's exactly what happened. I remember when uh, Chris Files and I got to the hotel in Houston, ran into Ian Rappaport from NFL Media, and we just kind of kibitzed a little bit. And I said, we're hoping for a miracle. And he said, well, you need one. And you know, he knew everybody, everybody nationally knew because Jerry Jones had told everybody nationally what was going to happen. So uh, it, it's weird for me because... It was one of those days where you just kind of put your head down and work. You just, you, you've been through that, right? Where you, it, it's not really hitting you. You're just working. You're, you're just doing it. There's no emotion involved at all. And the emotion didn't hit until after the vote and after we had left the hotel. Well, it's funny because you were boots on the ground, as DeMarco yeah. said, reporting for everyone here in St. Louis. And then here I am working in Bristol. And as fate would have it, Randy, I had to produce the first radio show that went on live after the vote. And as all this was going down, I had a pre-show meeting and the people I was talking to were like, OK, so we need to get reaction from L.A. We need excitement. The Rams are going back to California. And I said, hold up, what? What are you guys talking about? And that was the first time that I really realized no one else cared about St. Louis. No one else cared about what was clearly wrong. And what had happened here was just, oh, yeah, the Rams, L.A., bigger market. This makes sense for everyone when it clearly didn't. But thankfully, since I had a little bit of juice in that room, <laughs> I was able to say this is the real story and this is the way we need to cover it and get people like you and Bernie on to at least shed some light nationally to some people who might not have been aware of what was happening. Yeah, and in the interim, the Rams have not drawn very well, at least drawn Los Angelinos very well to have them become fans of the Rams out there. They did go to a Super Bowl and lost it to the Patriots. And also in the interim, St. Louis, St. Louis County and the St. Louis Convention of Visitors Commission have filed a suit against the NFL and the Rams, and that's proceeding well. And uh, it'll go to the courts next October. And uh, the St. Louis people feel very good about their prospects of winning against the NFL and proving fraud on their part in terms of did the league 
require or request that St. Louis continue to work on a stadium when they knew that the Rams were not going to be in St. Louis and nobody was going to be in that stadium anymore. Isn't that all you're hoping for at this point? It's just some justice. Yeah, the money would be nice yeah. because we know that that's the only thing that really would make people like Stan Kroenke and Jerry Jones upset is if they had to part with some cash. Mm-hmm. But just to have a court of law say what happened to you, St. Louis, was wrong. And we're ruling in your favor yeah. because for so long we've been sitting here screaming at the sky saying this was wrong. This was wrong as the NFL and Sam Kroenke and the Rams are just allowed to do whatever they wanted. Yeah, that'd be nice. It would be nice. Hopefully that'll be a 2021 best of. (laughs) (laughs) St. Louis University had a really rough year. Their second in a row under Jim Cruz. They fired him and they hired Travis Ford. For somebody who has been around the game of basketball my whole life, getting to know about St. Louis University and the tradition of its basketball program uh, has really, really energized me at a, at a level I haven't been at in a very, very long time. I've known a little bit about St. Louis University basketball. When I was in the Atlantic 10, I was a head coach at UMass. I actually came here one day and I shared the story with Chris. We came in a couple of days early and I, we practiced at one of the gyms here on campus, one of the older gyms. What was the name of it? West Pine Gym. We practiced there and after practice over, I grabbed one of my assistant coaches and we kind of walked around campus. And I remember to this day, I walked around campus and I was telling my assistant, this place is amazing. This place is unbelievable. Now at that time, Coach Majerus had it really rolling. They were really, really good. And I said, man, this place could be one of the top basketball schools in the country right here. There's no reason. And I said, man, they just need a on-campus facility. They had that. Sky's the limit. They've got it. And finally, Travis Ford getting a little bit of luck. And this year has a really, really good basketball team. Isn't it amazing to listen back to him in that mm-hmm. moment and everything that he was describing has come to fruition? Yeah. That he's he has built and delivered on everything that he talked about when he became the head coach? Yeah, and it's been built to be a program. It's not just going to be a one-year team. Right. It's a real program. The Blues also exercised some demons in 2016. They went to Game 7 against the Blackhawks, and this happened. That's center ice. Good hit by Fabry. Shoveled in by Petrangelo. Now Stasny gets away from a check to Fabry. Wide open. Oprah. Rebound. He scores. Trevor. The former Blackhawk has given the Blues a 3-2 lead. And the Blues won game seven, as Coach Hitchcock said after that game. Yeah, he, he better have scored from the ladies' tees. <laughs> <laughs> and the Blues went on to play San Jose for the Western Conference Championship and lost to San Jose in six. Few things sweeter than beating your hated rival in the postseason and the playoffs. And the Cardinals that year, 2016, missed the playoffs for the first time since 2010 and would miss for three years in a row. Let's look back at 2016 as we continue to look back at the last decade. And coming up next on 101 ESPN, we're going to go to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line. Connor Orr of SI will join us to talk some NFL here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. With Michelle Smallman, I'm Randy Carricker, and we go now to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line. And Connor Orr, who covers the NFL for Sports Illustrated and the MMQB, joins us. Connor, thanks so much for taking some time on a Monday morning. How are you doing? 
I'm doing well, thanks. How are you? Good. We got to start with this, Connor, because maybe the football highlight of the last five years here in St. Louis was the St. Louis Battlehawks, <laughs> who had a backup quarterback by the name of Taylor Heineke. He was in the XFL as a backup last year, and now he has a chance to start for the Washington Redskins. You write about that, and or the Washington football team, sorry, it does happen, but you write about the, the amazing NFC East uh, this week in uh, at, at SI.com. It really has been a wacky year in that conference, hasn't it, in that division? Yeah, I mean, just from start to finish uh, this entire year, I mean, it's been a strange year, obviously, for everybody, but the NFC seems to have uniquely embodied all of the weirdness that we've endured uh, in 2020. And, uh, yeah, just look at the laundry list of quarterbacks that we've seen come through this division. I mean, Carson Wentz is no longer a starter. We saw Colt McCoy coming back and you know, I just all of a sudden Taylor Hineke, I mean, you know, what, what a, uh, what a story. I mean, he'll have to play Washington into the playoffs, which will be pretty interesting. Connor, as weird as things are, some things always remain the same and it's comforting to some to know that the Browns remain a factory of sadness in some way, <laughs> shape or form, no matter what's going on in the outside world. You wrote this at SI.com, but what's your take on what we saw out of the Browns over the weekend? Well, you know, I think that the pushback there is that obviously when you have your top four receivers out due to close contact with um, someone who tested positive for COVID, that's absolutely going to affect your game plan. And and I'm certain it did. But that said, I mean, you know, this is a team that was playing, uh, you know, a really bad Jets team. Uh, You know, they had their full complement of running backs. They had two great tight ends. And I think that there's just no excuse for a loss like this. And now you leave up, uh, you know, your potential berth in the playoffs um, to a chance where you have to beat the Pittsburgh Steelers at uh, at home to close out the season. And like you said, it's just a perfectly uniquely Browns thing. I mean, they won 10 games back in 2007 and missed the playoffs, too. They're one of the few teams that can do this with some regularity. And so I think it's interesting to see what they'll do from here. But this is not a Steelers team that's going to lay down. They're going to want to use this as a tune-up for the postseason, and uh, they're going to treat this as a playoff game. So I think Cleveland's in a lot of trouble here. Speaking of the Steelers, Connor, they had a great comeback win, clinched the AFC North, but there are some issues there with that team. Are you viewing them as a true Super Bowl contender? I think it's hard to say. I think when we saw Ben Roethlisberger pressed um, uh, on Sunday and he he was able to kind of revert back to that quarterback that we've seen maybe four or five years ago. I mean, he did throw 49 attempts. We'll see how his shoulder and his arm feel this week and, you know, kind of how everything else shakes out. But, you know, I'm confident that I think this team can go deep into the playoffs if only because they're functional enough to be able to move the ball when they need to. And that pass rush is just devastating. And we've seen so many strange things happen in the playoffs. Gabe turn on one strip sack or fumble. And, you know, if you have TJ Watt and all the rest of these guys on your team, uh, you are, you're always going to have a chance because they're, they're home run hitters on every play. Connor Orr from SI with us on 101 ESPN. And Connor, in our business, of course, at the end of the NFL season, we have to come up with that team that nobody wants to play, right, in the playoffs. Is the team that nobody wants to see the Baltimore Ravens? Yeah, I I totally agree. Um, I I think that if I was, um, you know, anybody in the AFC East, uh, you know, to, to see them coming right now and, you know, they figured out a lot of the kind of the kinks in their passing game that weren't working. Uh, J.K. Dobbins has come around. He scored in his last five games, and I think he's finally supplanted Mark Ingram like they hoped he would earlier in the season. And this is just a dangerous, 
healthy downhill running team. And when you get into the postseason, we saw this with the Titans last year. Um, that can just be so devastating as long as you can play good defense. And, you know, Baltimore and, and Wink Martindale, they play great defense too. So, um, yeah, if I was any team in the AFC uh, right now, I wouldn't want to see the Ravens come, uh, come to town. Connor, since we don't have a football team here in St. Louis, Randy and I have adopted the Miami Dolphins as our team. So <laughs> imagine for a second you're Brian Flores. I know that they've already said that Tua's going to get the nod when the Dolphins face the Bills to close out the season. But if you had the power there, would you go with Tua or would you go with Ryan Fitzpatrick? Yeah, I think I would go with Tua because, um, you know, even though he's benched Tua before during the season and he wasn't really concerned about that affecting his growth, I think at some point you have to look towards 2021 and, and what you want to do with the with the team. They've already surpassed, I think, the um, the benchmarks for this rebuild. I don't think anybody expected them to be in contention at this point. So if I'm Brian Flores, I let it ride. I trust my young quarterback. I show him that, hey, I'm giving you the chance to put this team on your shoulders. And that's symbolic not only of now, but uh, in, in the years to come. And Ryan Fitzpatrick's been a good soldier. You can always plug him in at halftime if you need uh, if you need him to come in. But you know he's not probably going to be there next year. I mean, who knows he could be the quarterback of the Patriots at, at some point. And so you know, I think that uh, I think that Tua is is the right move there. And I think that uh, you you really have to put the face uh, of the team on his shoulders there. Doesn't Ryan Fitzpatrick have to wind up in New England so that he can make the entire AFC East run there? Because he's quarterback <laughs> Buffalo, the Jets, and Miami. It only feels right, right? Like mm-hmm. you know, and then uh, and then Josh McCown can play for the rest of the five teams that he hasn't <laughs> played for, and then uh, they can both do a trifecta. But I really do think that there's a chance. I mean, New England has such a condensed offense, and uh, they need so much help um, on their skill positions. But I do think that you know Ryan Fitzpatrick could be a decent option for them next year, especially if they're going to draft and develop um, behind him. Ryan Fitzpatrick is the is sort of the best bridge quarterback in the NFL that you can get right now. Connor, it would appear that Jared Goff is not going to play for the Rams against Arizona on Sunday, but it also would appear in listening to uh, Sean McVay talk that he really doesn't know what to expect week to week from Jared Goff either. Here he is in his fifth year. Should that inconsistency be alarming for Rams fans? Well, he certainly never really took the the next step. I mean, that is arguably the second most quarterback-friendly offense in the NFL next to the 49ers and Kyle Shanahan. And so if you do a lot for your quarterback and you help him out as much as they have, I think you expect um, a little bit of autonomy in return, you know, them to develop in the system and to grow in the system. And Jared Goff never really did that. I think we saw kind of a flatlining after the Super Bowl. Certainly, you know, he can make good throws. He has arm talent. But if you're Sean McVay and you know what you're capable of, you know, are you looking around the league and saying, you know, how much more could I do with somebody else? And, uh, you know, him and Wentz sign those contracts at the same time. You know, it's going to be hard, at least in the interim, to get out of it. But at some point, you know, he's going to have to make a decision there. And I don't know if he, you know, stays married to Jared Goff longer than he has to. Connor, who do you think needs the top seed in the NFC more, the Saints or the Packers? Because I'm watching that game last night. It's hard to see any team going into Green Bay and beating the Packers the way they're playing right now. Yeah, I mean, I, I think the Packers can roll. And if I'm the Saints, you know, you're you're clinging on to the hope that, you know, you can get that because you just need um, you know, you need all the help that you can possibly get, you know, and I think that they certainly have the best chance to, to get that top seed. 
and it makes sense because Drew Brees just doesn't look right to me, and I don't think looks right to a lot of people. But, you know, if I'm Green Bay almost, you know, I want to keep playing because you have a game like that last week, and, you know, you're starting to develop A.J. Dillon as a, as a second weapon there. I mean, look at how great he looked last night. I almost want to keep going, and uh, especially when your defense puts up a performance like that too. I mean, Mike Patton had struggled in the playoffs last year against the 49ers, but they're a lot tougher. I think they're a lot better suited there, and so maybe if I'm Green Bay, I want to keep rolling a little bit. Last thing for Connor Orr from SI, which of the jobs that is open or is presumably going to be open do you think it's is the best? Now that Jacksonville has the the rights to Trevor Lawrence and you've got the Jets, you've got the Lions open, you've got uh, the Houston job open and perhaps some others, which job do you think is the best one? I think it's Jacksonville, and I don't think it's even close. I mean, if I was a prospective GM or coach candidate, I would be – sprinting down there to take that job for a couple of reasons. They have an awful lot of cap space. They have an awful lot of draft capital from all the trades when they kind of gutted their roster. They have talented young skill position players. Um, And, you know, Shad Khan is probably the most patient owner in all of sports. I mean, you know, if you look at um, how much time he gave a lot of his prior coaches, his general manager when they weren't playing well. Um, he really does let his football people do the football uh, stuff. And so, uh, yeah, I think that's a dream job. And I think that's why you're already hearing rumblings of them taking some big swings there because, you know, everybody's going to want to go down there and, and coach Trevor Lawrence. Connor, great stuff. Thanks so much for the time. We appreciate it. Hopefully we can do this again sometime. Absolutely. Thank you. Take care. Connor Orr from SI, and of course, you can uh, see all of his great work at SI.com. People sprinting to Jacksonville. How about that? Does Urban Meyer sprint there? Maybe. If you're him, though, that's a pretty enticing offer. And the people in Florida love you. Yeah, it's already great you, point. you come in, especially in that part of the state, you come in with cachet, mm-hmm. probably have a, a longer honeymoon than others might have. Great point. Coming up, we're going to cross things over with Danny Mac. Scoops with Danny Mac coming up, and he is next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Time now for the crossover. Brought to you by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Close to home or close to work. For quality tires and expert auto service, you can always count on Dobbs. Get this text to the Air Comfort Service text line 65780. Guys, I celebrate like the 72 Dolphins every year when the lambs are eliminated <laughs> and the champagne is chilling on 2020. Yeah. Doesn't look like they're going to make it. Well, the thing is the Packers would have to lose to the Bears. But if the Arizona Cardinals, go Cards, go Cards. can beat, John, is it John Wofford? Wolford. Wolford. Yeah, John Wolford and the Rams and zero NFL experience. Yeah, no passes. <laughs> and I would think that Vance Joseph will come up with a couple of different looks for him, one or two. Sure. So if Arizona beats the uh, the Lambs and the Bears beat the Packers, then Arizona and the Pack uh, Arizona and the Bears would be in the playoffs, and the Rams would be eliminated. So go be really sad. go Cards, go Bears is what we're saying. Yeah, go Cards, go Bears. All right, there you yeah. go. Come on, Kyler. I was rooting for Kyler the other day. He did not have a good day against San Francisco. So you're telling me our happiness lies in the hands of Mitchell Trubisky? Yeah, that's true. <laughs> Who has been hot, hot, hot. Yes, he has. He's he really... played great. So, yeah, I have no problem with uh, I'd 
I'd rather be in our shoes than a Bears fan's shoes regarding our happiness lying in the hands of Mitchell Trubisky. Yeah, because we only have to really depend on him once or or ask him to come through one time. Right. Danny Mac is here. What's up, guys? How was Christmas, man? It was great. How about you guys? Everything was terrific. Thank you. Happy New Year. Now we turn the page on uh, Christmas. Tough to come in today. I know that. (laughs) Yeah, it was different, wasn't it? Oh, yeah. I I like it when uh, Christmas lines up and... You get them four-day weekends. Yeah, that's pretty good. Them four-day weekends are pretty nice. Yeah. Yeah, pretty nice. Merry Christmas. Hey. Happy well, New Year. Yeah, good to see you. 2021. Had to be tough on you. It was rough this yeah. morning. You, you, that alarm went off, and it's you, it's dark and cold outside. I've been used to lounging around, sleeping yeah. in. It was rough this morning. I'm not going to lie. Did you get out of town? What would you do? Just kind of low-key hanging out here. Yeah. I mean, there's not much to do, but... Hey, here we are. Here we are. It's tw- I, I'm I'm not too upset to say goodbye to 2020. We'll put it uh, no, that way. No, no. Year from now will be much different, right? Hope so. Yeah, I think it will. Yeah, be a lot better. Yeah, has to be. So, what do you think of the Blues signing uh, Mike Hoffman to a PTO? Uh, I like it. Um, kind of surprising. I, I was a little bit surprised too. What do you think it means? I'm going to have uh, Alex Ferrario on, and Dave Matter's going to come up, and we're going to visit with him talking about the Mizzou stuff. What do you think it means, though, um, reading into this for Tarasenko? You think that means that he's done for the year? Do, do you read into that because that money then would not be available for his money then essentially goes to Hoffman for the year, or do you, do you still have that money available for Tarasenko when he's yeah. when he becomes available and healthy, when he comes back, his and he's still got two months left. So we're looking January, February. You're still going to have March and April. So you so still get the money. All, the, you don't get it any. Still it still fits. All seven and a half comes comes in. I think this is Alexander Steen money. I got that part, but I was just curious about the ter- yeah. I, I think Tarasenko will be back. I don't think that they okay. would do anything. All right to jeopardize. Okay, his good. All right. So, okay, good. And then. If he comes back and he's just just help the thing break is, it down for me, yeah, Randall. You you really can't after three shoulder surgeries you can't count on Vladdy. But and one other thing Hoffman does is it gives you the ability to go as far as you need to go to get him where you want him to be, right, Tarasenko. Mm-hmm. But man, if he comes back, so I, that's why I was looking at it from both yeah. angles of the money and from. How concerned they may be with just physically where he's at when he comes back. I think they want to get off to a fast start, and they want a guy that they have confidence in. Okay. And the, they have confidence in Robert Thomas ascending and being great, but they know that Hoffman, heck, he scored 20 goals in six straight years, had right. 29 last year. So they have confidence in him being able to come in and play right off the bat. What a difference a year makes. Um, and Doug Armstrong doesn't wait, does he? No. Holy smokes. Gets after it. I mean, this at this point last year, you had Petro, you had Steen, you had Vladdy, Bo, you, you had Bo Meester, mm-hmm. and now those guys are gone. I mean, it's just incredible how you've had a turnover on that roster with, I mean, not just players, really good players, and, right. and they're gone. And then you think about Maroon and Edmondson and Allen yeah. from the Stanley Cup Game 7. Wow. A pretty dramatic turnover. That's heck, more than a third of your, of your roster from that night. And it's not necessarily a bad thing, I don't think. I mean, I think turnover with a roster is actually a pretty good thing um, in any sport. Any any sport, even when you have good winning teams, I think you got to keep the nucleus together for the most part. But I, I think that uh, it's not necessarily a bad thing. I really don't. 
I really admire Doug Armstrong going for it. And I admired Tom Stillman for opening up the checkbook Spencer and saying, you know what, this is a, we're in a good position right now. Let's not just sit back and wait for things to happen to us. Let's go for it. How about doing it in, uh, to your point too, Michelle, in a pandemic? Right, exactly. Right? Yeah. And, and not knowing what you're going to have coming in um, down to Enterprise Center too. I mean, you don't know what you're going to have money-wise mm-hmm. coming through the turnstiles where you're really, that's where you're making your money, mm-hmm. and especially in that sport. You get some TV money coming in, but I mean, let's face it, that's where you're getting your money. Yeah. Wow. I just, I give him credit. You know, let's see how it plays out. Hopefully you get some fans in the stands, you know, by the end of the year, but yeah, it's, it's impressive what they're doing, what they're trying to do. One of the things about Doug Armstrong is that not, it's not like there aren't bad contracts because Yori Letero was a bad contract. Berglund was a bad contract, but they don't end up being here. He's able to shed yeah. bad deals. Yeah. And the the other deals, Tarasenko winds up at seven and a half. You know, he got hurt, but still seven and a half for Vladimir Tarasenko is great. The O'Reilly contract looks great right now. The Pet- Petrangelo deal that they finished was great. Bo got hurt for a year, but for the most part, Bo Meester did what they wanted him to do for his $5.4 million. The Blues don't wind up with many bad contracts on the books. Also knowing when to walk away, whether it's a Petro or a David Backus, it yep. just seems like he always has the right move up his sleeve. I'll say this, too. Uh, sitting in the car listening to your coverage of the Rams leaving, I'm not happy with you then, not happy with you now. Didn't that bum you out? Yeah. Me, too. You did a hell of a job, though. You, know, you did a great job. I just wasn't happy with you. I don't blame you. Yeah. You, you, that's Brought called, all those back. called uh, shooting the messenger. Yeah, it is. And I'm <laughs> shooting you. Well, that, that's, I'm not happy with that, you. That, that is absolutely fine. I was telling Michelle. I was listening that, that day to you. Yeah. I mean, I when you were down in Houston, yeah. I was not happy with you, Randy. But um, sorry. I. I wasn't happy either. <laughs> you did a great job, but I wasn't happy with so, you. I think it's amazing you were able to keep composure that day. And I know you're a professional and you had a job to do, but let's be honest. We were all emotionally invested in that. Yeah. And for you to be able to be in that yeah. room with those people that were yeah. ripping your team away from your city and not flip anybody the bird, Randy. Well, congratulations. My job thing well was, done. Thank you. But I, I got emotional later. And that's one thing. And This might be a bad thing. In terms of being in the job that we do, I am, for the most part, when I watch a game, able to watch a game impartially. And I am. Yeah. For the most part. Yeah. Now, for whatever reason, the switch changes when I'm in the stands. And I don't really watch as impartially. But when I'm in a press box or when I'm covering a story, I just cover the story. And that includes, like, when the Cardinals lose a World Series. You know, it is what it is. I I, I cover it, but and, and subsequently, I I might go home and get upset about it. But at, at the moment, I don't let it bother me. I'm still when I call a game, I'm a fan in the booth. I, I am. That's good. I I still and am you a, should be. This is my hometown team. I'm a fan in the booth. I think that's what makes you different. If you're doing your hometown team, mm-hmm. is that you have the phone the the hometown feel and you have an understanding of what the people the the fan at home. Maybe what they're feeling. You're one of us. Yeah, you you are, but you you don't take it too far, right? You, you kind of you have to be impartial to a point, but yet you 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 call it with a little disdain sometimes or a little excitement. You know, you got a little bit of that in you. 
So you, you you mix it, you sprinkle it in. Yeah, that's and what it, makes it. To me, that's kind of the I fun think, part about it. You I know? think a lot of it is what you grew up with too, because we grew up with Jack Buck. Oh, uh, he'd uh, get po'd, man. Well, <laughs> he would get mad. He broke a, a stopwatch one time yeah. after a game. He was really mad at I, that. That audio is around somewhere. Yeah. I think we might have even played it. But he also, like he wrote in his book, what do you expect, that I'm going to root for the Padres? But then right. <laughs> Vin Scully was great, and he played it down the middle for the Dodgers for years and was one of the best ever. I was listening to, um, I think it was a podcast recently with Joe, Joe Buck talking about how, I guess it was Joe talking about um, how social media, what what he deals with is with social media, but, and he's talked about, we've all listened to him, how he deals with, you know, people like you, they hate you, whatever, you get pounded on social media, I get pounded, you get pounded, we all get pounded, whatever. But even how Vin would deal with it and Jack would deal with it. And um, I guess it was to the point, I guess the point I'm trying to make is that they even back then would deal with, mm-hmm. hey, you, well, you're not rooting for my team. You know, you're, you're, you must hate my team. No, we don't. They don't hate your team. They're just calling it. You just are thinking they hate your right. team. You aren't hearing what you want to hear. You're not hearing what you want to hear. And even back then, those guys were dealing with what Joe's going through now, and what we all go through. Yeah, it's Jack, just that's just the way it is. Jack told me one time he was doing a bowl game, and I, I, it was Arkansas, and I think Nebraska, Arkansas, and somebody else. But he got two telegrams at halftime, both saying, telegrams. "Why are you rooting against my team?" Right. So that told him he was doing the the perfect job. Well, exactly. What I, I always say this is that a fan, like with McCarver, I always felt like, the, here's what I would say with Tim. When, when Tim got back to doing games um, on the local side, I, I always felt like it was my responsibility to re-engage the Cardinal fan to say, hey, do you guys realize that this guy not only played for the Cardinals, like our younger fans, but he was part of one of the great eras mm-hmm. of Cardinal baseball. And by the way, he caught like two of the greatest Cardinal pitchers ever. And you only know him because he was part of the announcing crew that caught, uh, he called some of the great games that you loved and some of the games that you hated mm-hmm. because the team won or they lost. And when they, those teams lost, you'd wanted a pound of flesh and that pound of flesh came from the announcers. Right. And that was part yeah. of the deal. So you had to kind of re-engage the fans to have an understanding. Oh, by the way, he is he's part of the family. And I think we did that with Tim. I really tried to do that with Tim. It's the big leagues. It's the big leagues, man. <laughs> the big leagues. He is. He's part of the family. Yeah, he is. Definitely. So that's why I, I really, it was great being around Tim and that part of it, learning more about that part of it of just what those guys went through. Like having security, they they'd have oh, to yeah. be rolled out with security all the time. Security from Deion Sanders. Yeah, <laughs> Deion got mad. <laughs> he sure did. And he was really mad, and then Tim got really mad. Yeah, Tim's not over that. Well, Trust me, I don't blame him. No, good. Uh, Dave Matter coming up yep. before you ask me what's coming up. And Alex and Alex Ferrario. Looking forward to you. Gonna you gonna listen? Of course I am. I hope you do, Randy. And, Sometimes and, and, I question whether I I know Michelle listens. Yeah. Thank you, I don't Dan. know if you listen. I, I do. And, and, and uh, I know Tanner's going to be listening. You liked <laughs> Jones' chocolate pie? It was, um, I would say this, and I mean this sincerely, I think it may have been the best chocolate pie I've ever had. Wow. Ever. Not okay. not maybe. I think it was ever. High praise. Best. I'll, I'll I mean, back. restaurant, 
Perkins. Wow. I don't care. It was that good. It was unbelievable. Were we talking chocolate cream pie or what? What was it, Randy? Yeah, just a chocolate pie. Yeah. It, it was, was unbelievable. A, a French silk. Oh, a French yeah. silk. Yeah. yeah you but what was, the, what was the stuff underneath? The crust? Yeah, it was like Oreos <laughs> yeah, or something. an Oreo crust. Yeah. Oh. But she crushed that, yeah. right? Uh-huh. It was unbelievable. Yeah. Unbelievable. Glad you liked it. I crushed that. <laughs> it was like to the point I gave a little bit to my kids and I said, no more. No more. The rest is for me. Because Randy <laughs> loves me so and Joan loves me, so this is really meant for me. So thank you very much. You're very welcome. It was awesome. Great job by our producer engineer, Tanner Hendrickson. Thank you. Thank you. Michelle, great to have you back. Thanks. Great to be back, Randy. I'll see you tomorrow. For- Do you think she means that? Um, oh, yeah. I don't think so. Let me tell you. Those last few, I was telling Randy, those last few days, those were long days. When you're, a, when you're taking time off in a, in a pandemic, you can't really go anywhere. Do yeah. Those are long days. I'm, I'm glad to be back in. You, I'm trust very me. happy you're back in. I'm sure. Thank you for filling in, Dan. Great. Yeah. For all of us, thanks for tuning in, texting in, being a part of the show. And until tomorrow morning at 7, have a great day, St. Louis. You've been listening to the Character and Smallman podcast, powered by I Promise. Let me guess. Unknown caller? You could reduce the number of unwanted calls and emails with online privacy protection. The latest innovation from Discover will help regularly remove your personal info, like your name and address, from 10 popular people search websites that could sell your data. And we'll do it for free. Activate in the Discover app. See terms and learn more at discover.com slash online privacy protection. Grab a 30-day free trial of Live by Live Plus, and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial-free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle. Visit LiveXLive.com slash podcast one to learn more and start your free trial.